talk Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars. Give me the Star Wars. Don't let them end. Hello, welcome to the Quarter to Three movie podcast for Star Wars The Last Jedi. My name is Tom Chick. I am here with Christian Malensky. Uh, alas, I'm no Morosky. I'm just a child in a mask. I have no idea what that was. Dingus, will you explain yourself later? <laughs> I don't want it explained. I just want to repeat it. Repeated. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Kelly Wand, who oh. will have a tagline for us for The Last Jedi. Right, Kelly Wand? Say the full title. Oh. Correct. Kelly Wand with the tagline for Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Episode 8, Star Wars. God. Oh my god, really? That's not it. You oh, I don't like say- saying the episode numbers, but you have to now, don't you? They're is not leading with that. Now? No marquee. Is that the official title? That's not even in the title, is it? Uh, I thought it was. Maybe it's not. Is it? Dingus will let us know in a moment. But Kelly Wand, I presume you're wanting me to set you up for something. And unlike no. you, Kelly Wand, well. I know how to yes and. So here we go. And with a tagline for Episode 8, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, Kelly Wand. Solidly in my top seven. See, without that. <laughs> well, no, wait. What about Rogue One? Jeez. No. I, yeah, I see, it, it's above Rogue One. It gets very complicated. Well, Kelly Wand, do you have other taglines that don't involve math? Be seven of nine. Um, it's, like, it's like Looper. It ends with a kid. Is this Seven of Nine a character in Star Trek? I know. Yeah, that he was crazy. doing that on purpose. Oh, oh I, okay. I thought, okay. I was awfully proud of myself for making a Star Trek connection. I just felt lonely for doing it, like <laughs> most Star Trek. Kelly Wonder, are there more <laughs> Episode Eight Star Wars The Last Jedi taglines? There's only one. I ran out of ideas. It's like Fast and the Furious 8, but with a wacky, fast-talking black guy. Wait. What? It's, it's, more math? What? <laughs> John Foyega is fa- I, I, I'm very confused by both you and Dingus already who's uh, more confusing I tell you right, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about this movie in, in a moment with spoilers maybe you haven't seen it uh, but first Dingus tell the listeners what movie we're talking about spoiler free just some basics clear up any confusion here with the title all that stuff take it away Dingus all right, this week we saw Star Wars colon episode VIII dash The Last Jedi. Is That's that really how it what, – what's your source for that, by the way? Uh, that is the original title. It is known on, on the marquee. You're correct, Tom. It is known as Star Wars colon The Last Jedi, the original title of the movie and what it will henceforth be known as once they don't have to put that whole thing on a marquee is Star Wars colon episode eight dash The Last Jedi. Uh-huh. I just that, feel like a, a cranky old man when I when I rail against this, and I don't. Anyone who calls Star Wars else. New Hope is I just uh, I'm just so opposed to all of this stuff. All right, that's the dumbest title. Though. But they're categorizing the whole. It's it's a categorization, don't you? Doesn't that appeal to you? Well, I don't need. I just I, no. I know it's a star. Just go Star Wars colon. Like I don't need to know the. You don't know where it sits within the within the universe of the uh, the Star Wars cinematic. Well, universe. why aren't they doing that with Rogue One and Han Solo's story? You can just uh, tell the story from the titles. Because you know those mean? things are going to you know be like sort of snicked in between those things. Yeah, but so Rogue One is Episode three point five. 
Yeah, maybe it has even know, more. It's, it's, I'm already getting angry. Let's let's move on. Last <laughs> Jedi's math too. It's all math. <laughs> I'm already getting angry. <laughs> All right, Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, a 2018. Oh wait, it's 17. A 2017 American action adventure fantasy franchise sequel, epic space opera movie about moving rocks. It was written and directed by Ryan Johnson, <laughs> based on characters created by George Lucas. It stars Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver. John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Andy Serkis, Donald Gleason, Laura Dern, and Kelly Marie Tran. <laughs> Star Wars colon episode eight dash The Last Jedi is rated PG-13 for sequences of sci-fi action and violence. Uh, Tom loves those. There Kelly wanted is- to oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, Does the MPAA miss anything that parents should know, Kelly Wand? I guess just watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Most That's of America did. It opened at number one, of course. Yeah. It made $220 million, uh, the second biggest opening of all time. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at 93%. Metacritic has the, aver- the average rating for various reviews, 86. And CinemaScore gives it an A, which is what movies get on CinemaScore. <laughs> Kelly Wand. What's the I biggest? See you have waited your usual say, your usual saying. Well, well, about what? I'll I'll say it again. I'm not backing off of anything. You mean about Cinema Score or about? Yeah. Right. Uh, idiots gave it an A. I mean, idiots it, give everything yeah. an A. That's why they're idiots. Okay. Yeah. They yeah. think that's what idiot starts with because they're so. Dumb. <laughs> <laughs> huh. uh, let's see. Uh, Kelly one number one Take was that, uh, idiots. was uh, Force Awakens. See, that's the, that's the largest. Uh, box office uh, take. Uh, Force Awakens opened at 247 million. This is 220 million. Uh, by the way, also maybe we'll get into this, but uh, Rotten Tomatoes, Force Awakens, also 93%. Cinema Score also got an A. Force Awakens. Uh, Force Awakens, however, is lower on Metacritic than uh, Last Jedi. Last Jedi is at uh, 86 on Metacritic. Force Awakens ended up at 81. So Ooh. put that in your pipe and smoke it. There's some math for episode numbers. Kelly Wand, what I want is prose. Give me a Star Wars Last Jedi sis. Opposite. Last, whatever. What would it be called if you were to do a synopsis of Star Wars The Last Jedi, Kelly Wand? Opsisobsis apesis. Storpwarpsis The Last Jedi. Opsis. (laughs) I would have expected nothing less. See, it's the full title. Yeah, Kelly Craig. Some blue words are all a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Lucas stands up and goes, that's just a figure of speech, by the way. It actually happened uh, recently near here like fairy tales. I meant to fix that in the special edition. Some yellow words are all Star Wars. My audience <laughs> cheers excitedly at the idea that this war is still going with no end in sight. Over and over and over. War, war, war. Billions more will die. Minuscule, illegible, incoherent yellow words languidly scroll past and debrief me on how horribly the rebels are still losing this time. Except now they're called the Resistance and the Empire's called the New Order, although the ships and vehicles are the same, as usual. In, in a frigate, Princess Leah's all. 
damn, only 10 seconds ago, we were waving goodbye to Chewbacca and Ray as they took off to go find Luke using that map to Ireland he made so we couldn't find him. <laughs> but we were so busy waving, we didn't even notice all these Star Destroyers showing up to block out the sunlight. <laughs> Behind her, Admiral Akbar's all, it's a trap. The rebels pat him affectionately and guide his wheelchair over to the top of some stairs. A rebel with a hat on's all. Uh, Your Highness General, man, it's uh, not just Star Destroyers. One of them's a class Ugnaught. Aboard the Ugnaught, Admiral Redhair sniggers and goes, Yes, we have them. I'm a genius. All thanks to my plan of finding their planet during the school crawl and shooting guns. Corporal Agarn, prepare to palpate their transports, salute their flagships, delouse their porgs, polish their protocol droids, admire their shipyards, and applaud their fire extinguishers. Over the intercom, Oscar Isaacson's all, uh, yeah, I'm here with zingers. Uh, <laughs> replace Han Solo with an H. Oh, hello, hello, can you hear me? Hello, it's me, Admiral Redhair. I said, yes, we have them. I'm a genius, all thanks to my... Sir, uh, while you were talking, he just flew through the bridge here and killed most of us and then flew out again, saying more zingers. Admiral Redhair makes his usual expression. Then he's all, concentrate all firepower on that man's comedy. The Asian guy's all, yeah, sir, um, our guns are too big to hit something that snarky. Uh, plus, we have nothing ready for uh, small ships, you know, like an empire and the other six. <laughs> Meanwhile, an Asian girl we've never seen before lies at the bottom of a chain-link fence trying to kick it so the game controller perched on top of it will fall down towards her. <laughs> no gravity. She's not very good, and none of her kicks do anything yet. The Asian guy's all, hey, sir, uh, me again. Asian guy who joined the Imperial Navy. We're in a headset. Yeah. Uh, hey, I forgot to tell you, our guns are aimed at Princess Leah's face. Um... She's not doing much generaling, just looking worried. Um, it's hard to tell. Should I fire? <laughs> right here, Saul. Kill Princess Leah, yes, at long last. The Empire will actually win a space battle besides Death Star 1 versus Alderaan. With this shot that I'm about to give the order for you to follow, the rebellion, I mean resistance, shall crumble, and a new darkness dawn dimly. A red button that says Asian girl kicking chain link fence doesn't come on. But the Asian guy is still all, hey, sir, uh, so shoot Leah. Yeah. By the fence right behind him, the girl tries kicking in slow motion. It works. But she misses catching it. No, JK. She was just fucking <laughs> Danny Ryan Johnson. I thought that was going to happen another way. She hits the button marked blow up self. It turns into a green live long and prosper finger V symbol. She's all, may the fort, she explodes. Then after a few seconds, the bomb goes off. I guess Red Hair's on a different ship, because now he watches it blow up through his windshield. He sighs with annoyance. <laughs> Vision guys all, hey, sir, me again. Grandma, I mean, Grand Moff uh, Snork is on the line. <laughs> he sounds upset. Uh, and also like the Emperor and Gollum. Uh, I'll take it in my bathroom. A hologram of Andy Circus farts into view and goes, Damn it, Red Hair! How hard is it to blow up Carrie Fisher? 
Are facial muscles moving too fast? He force strangles him, then goes, JK, I like you. Keep shooting at her shit. Bye. <laughs> <It's red. laughs> Snork switches his hologram button to less angry, then sits on his chair and scowls at Adam Driver. Oh, you. Seriously? Chewbacca? Ugh. And a black cowardly character and a girl with zero lightsaber experience. <laughs> and quit saying Abrams. <laughs> Adam Driver and his mask, Saul. Take that ridiculous thing off. You sound just like your mother. Driver takes off his mask and goes, I said, at least I'm injury-free from C-3PO so far. Oh, you. To think I ever thought you'd be the new Vader. The man who threw my predecessor to his death. Oh, God, was he awesome. Now get out of here and don't come back until you kill someone fun. <laughs> Girls. Ugh. Driver gets in an elevator and gets upset at one of its walls, so he beats it up with his mask. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the frigate... Leo slaps Oscar Isaacson and goes, that's for saving my life and blowing up the Ugnaught. If there's one thing I hate, it's sexy hotshot flyboys who take crazy ricks and beat the odds. <laughs> Repulsion to me. <laughs> crazy risks. It's not my style. He's all. What about when you made everybody go into the trash compactor in four? Where'd you think you'd fall? Beep boop blurps and gargles sassily. I lean over to Jackson, the green robot, sitting next to me and go, that robot's like R2-D2, but he's in the movie more. Leah's all, I'm demoting you. <laughs> pilot to pilot? He looks behind me and sees his black friend wandering around the halls wearing a giant saran wrap baggie that's leaking pee, bacta, and blood from a bunch of spouts. All the other rebels ignore his hijinks. <laughs> Just another Star Wars day for them. <laughs> Oscar's all thin. That's not how medicine works. Meanwhile, <laughs> on the planet Ireland, Luke stares <laughs> holds out his lightsaber. A puppet named after Canada gave me this. She and Abrams told us we'd find out how she got it later. He takes it and throws it over a cliff. Then he stomps around. He goes, fuck off. I've done other things besides Star Wars. Corvette Summer, Wing Commander 3, Episode 7. Ugh. He shuts the door to his cottage and begins sobbing. Ray glances at us uncertainly, then knocks at his door. Uh, Master Skywalker, I, uh, the galaxy... Uh, I want you to teach me the ways of the Force, preferably off-screen. It makes <laughs> using midichlorians. He opens the door and goes, every word I'm saying right now is wrong. Except the word wrong. He slams the door in his own face. Finally, she tricks him by having Chewbacca destroy his apartment and make it a livable. <laughs> <laughs> Hamill's all, Chewbacca, R2? Ugh. At least I don't have to get upstaged every scene by that stoned. Wait a second. Where is Han? Ray doesn't tell him, so Luke has to go on board the Falcon himself and sadly cradle Han's bronzed baby booties dangling from the rear view before he gets the hint. 
Luke takes Han's death and the constant presence of a sexy young groupie throwing herself at him pretty hard by heading for the beach where he molests a fish nun and gorges himself on her blue breast milk. <laughs> Remember that part, Dingus? <laughs> yeah. He belches through his blue matted whiskers at Ray and goes, eh, I call her brew. <laughs> <laughs> He winked lewdly. <laughs> Lewd Skywalker. Then he makes Ray shut her eyes and drags some poison ivy over her face. He's all, ha, here. Yeah, you feel that itching? That's the force. Gotcha. She vomits. <laughs> Meanwhile, Finn throws a backpack into an escape pod, splashes some cologne on his cheeks, and starts to step into the escape pod <laughs> when a lumpy figure springs at him from out of the pod and goes, Stop hitting me with backpacks, white man! <laughs> no, no! <laughs> JK, she says it in a normal voice. <laughs> then she looks sad and goes, My name's Pink Taco! The woman I love just died from kicking a chain wig fence recently. See, Dingus? Not racist. The woman I loved, is that what you said? I... She says something like that. And I look over at Alan Dean Foster and go, really? A lesbian relationship with a Star Wars movie? Asian lesbians? She's my sister. Me and all the guys in the audience cycle. <laughs> then she jabs Finn in the side, winks, and goes, I wipe behind a pipes, if you know what I mean. Finn's all, uh, <clears throat> I thought my love interest in this would be Ray again. Who? Anyways, I decided to ignore my usual duties and taser anyone who tries to escape. Why is everyone so worried? Princess Wee is in command. Just like she was in the ship at the beginning of New Hope. And when she negotiated with Tarkin for the survival of Alderaan. And when she forced on Minoc. And when she took Jabba by defrosting Han while Ollie and all his friends hid behind the curtain and pretended to be a sweet. And when she conceived a son, Kaiwo Wen, he turned out great. <laughs> he steps past her in the escape pod. She's like, hey, wait a minute, you're black. She tases him, puts him in a grocery cart, takes him upstairs for Leah to laugh at. Meanwhile, the Empire tricks the rebels by tracking them through light speed and at them some more. Oscar Isaac scowls at Leah and goes, Ugh, I thought the Death Star tracked the Falcon through light speed Yav in episode four. Why don't you guys just switch ships? Wait, why don't we just... Leah's all, shh. She points to a nearby TV. Look, Mash Canada's in a found footage movie. I think it's like quarantine grave encounter. She's in a tunnel. <laughs> Behind the pink taco pushes the cart onto the bridge, raises Finn by his ear and goes, Look what I caught just as I was about to run away in one of the escape pods. Oscar's all, who's Maz Canada? Uh, she was in the last movie for a few minutes, but she didn't do anything in that one. Watch this, though. On the TV screen, <laughs> Canada wearing a mining helmet's all. Damn, can't see anything with this damn camera in my face. Look out! She shoots the camera out of the face. The screen goes to static. The Asian guy in a headset puts a rebel helmet on. He's all, ma'am, uh, and characters, that trick where um, Oscar Isaacs tricked the Empire a little while ago by going in alone and, like, flying around. Kylo Ren's just doing it to us right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar 
Damn it. Permission, ma'am, to blow up my ship and then get into it. Permission granted, but don't do anything exciting this time. <laughs> Suddenly, she stares into space. Her eyes cross. The admirals are all, uh, ma'am, you have any, like, orders and stuff? And his ship, Kylo Ren's eyes cross, too. He's all, mom, you're staring in my direction. Oh, I guess we've never done this before. Mom, I'm about to shoot you. It's okay. Then I'll be with your father again. Yeah, he wasn't a Jedi, so I don't think, oh, you have his nose and my lips. <laughs> okay, I'm not going <laughs> to shoot you. You're still good in me. May the four so X-Wigs blast past Kylo Ren and blow up Leah's ship. She loses interest and floats dead for a bit, then opens her eyes and uses the force to transcend the need to breathe at extreme temperature and propels herself <laughs> through space aboard a nearby rebel ship with a woman staring out at her all this time instead of free to the body. Did you guys see that? I just came back from the dead. It's the first time I've ever used the force, and that was my opening act. Fuck yeah. Why didn't I use it during the battle, though, or any battle? Some guards lead her off. The guy's all, yeah, sorry you all had to see that. Uh, Laura Dern here is now in charge. Carpet matches the drapes. Laura Dern walks up with purple hair and goes, all ships run away from the Empire. Oscar Isaac's all, a dame, ma'am, with all due respect, running away and surviving is just what they want us to do. Laura Dern's all, well, well, Oscar Isaacson, I've heard about you. Bad things. You're lucky I don't have you peeling space potatoes right now, and your droid's an asshole, too. Now get out of my sight. Yeah, I don't take orders. Then he walks off. B. Arthur comes in and goes, I'm afraid Admiral Akbar is dead. Everybody looks sad except the audience. Pink tacos. No one was bad at spotting twaps after they'd already been sprung on him. <laughs> Leah's all I was floating out there I thought of using my powers to save him too he was floating right beside me she shrugs the guards lead her away again meanwhile inside his ship Kylo Ren sniffs his fingers curiously they smell like his mom meanwhile back on Ireland Luke watches irritably as Ray practices her lightsaber by beheading an ancient statue that rolls downhill and destroys a poor grocery cart <laughs> Then she makes rocks float and almost causes the end of the universe. Luke makes her stop by screaming at her. Then goes, by the way, uh, this island is situated on an Indian burial ground. He goes to sleep. Ray Janssen walks over to the Indian burial ground and falls in. She walks around and finds a hall of mirrors. She snaps her fingers. The reflections snap their fingers too, but they're out of sync. She rolls her eyes and goes, great. Suddenly on his ship, Kylo Ren's eyes cross. He's all, oh, it, uh, Ray? Why are we telepathic all of a sudden? Maybe we're related. No, your parents were losers. Twist. Batman joins them telepathically and goes, Hey, speaking of which, guess what Superman's mom's name is? (laughs) Ray shakes Kylo's hand as a thank you for his kind words about her parents and farts awake. In his ship, Kylo's fingers are wet from Ray's sweat and or other stuff. He looks down at his fingers, repulsed. Then he's all, by the way, tell Uncle Luke, thanks for trying to murder me in my sleep. No wonder I'm so fucked up. Back on Ireland, Ray yawns at Luke and goes, I saw the future off screen, I guess, after me handshake. Adam Driver turns good, at least for a couple seconds. So I'm going to go give myself up to Empress Snorks. Thank you for training me. That was the smartest thing you ever did, turning yourself into the Empire in Episode 6. Although if you sense good invader, 
Why don't you just turn yourself in him at the end of Empire instead of trying to commit suicide and then changing your mind because of a TV antenna? <laughs> Luke's all, okay. Yes, I tried to murder Adam Driver in his sleep the night before his final exam on Jedi trivia, but only for a second. Then I wanted to hug him again, but I guess he misunderstood my uh, erection. Besides, 3PO was going to murder me in my sleep in episode four that night when R2 ran off to try and get killed by Tusken Raiders. That's why he was skulking around the garage. So why am I the asshole? Ray shakes his hand talking. He looks glumly down at his now wet hand. She gets in the Falcon, where Chewbacca has married one of the Porgs, who has a bad sunburn and no head. Uh, some of the other porgs scowl and wince at him because they were hoping for a more interesting stepfather. Razal, come on, Chewbacca. Thanks for waiting in here all this time. Great use of the character. New plan. I'm going to go give myself up to the Empire. Ready? Assuming she's joking, Chewbacca says nothing. Meanwhile, <laughs> Finn and Pink Taco infiltrate a space casino, which for some reason is also trackingly a ship through light speed. And then I was a little high during this part. I think they both get arrested for having sex on the beach or something. <laughs> I don't know if it's a drink or the act. Somebody says something. The cops throw them into a jail cell with Antonio Bandera. <laughs> Must have pretty crazy sex for that. For fun, I pretend he's his fear and loathing character, although he acts like someone in Cats. He sniffs, hisses at Finn, and goes, By the way, I'm a famous lockpick. <laughs> and I know where the Empire's keeping its track Princess Leah through lightspeed thing. <laughs> Finn's all, Fuck that, I've had enough adventures. I'm just going to sit in this jail cell. Pink Taco tries to fold her arms and goes, and I have no opinion. Ben's <laughs> cell door is open by shrugging and walks off. Finn sighs unhappily. He just wants his arc to be over. Meanwhile, on Ireland, Luke sighs, kicks one of the porgs and goes, oh, well, at least I still have all my Jedi texts stashed in this tree here. <laughs> Yoda's ghost suddenly materializes, shoots sparks out of his hands and blows up the Jedi tree. <laughs> No! <laughs> Yoda giggles at him and goes, Mr. I Skywalker, crack me up, you do. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the Death Star Casino Destroyer, Banderas walks in a pink taco up to a bunch of stormtroopers. Oh, by the way, I'm a traitor. <laughs> pink tacos all Damn, if only we'd whoop up. I got an idea. He and Pink Taco get on some runaway racehorses which, while the casino starts exploding, which I get. <laughs> then he tries to grab Pink Taco's wrist with only one hand and drag her away somewhere to get blown up. But suddenly Captain Phasma walks up. <laughs> She's all, you're under arrest for... What? She trips... <laughs> That was so epic, that fight. <laughs> 90%. Although she lands on her back, it cracks the front of her helmet like Kylo Ren, so her eye peeks out. It's like if Brienne was the mountain. Finn's all, the name's Rebel Scum, and if you think you're the detergent to remove scum like me, you're going to need a bigger sponge to, to wipe my... What is brunch? I mean, eventually she loses interest. 
<laughs> the sad part's no one's seen Justice League. We get that. <laughs> Eventually, she loses interest and falls in some fire. Gosling stands up in front of me and goes, Really? That's it for her? And I thought Boba Fett and the Silac was a fizzle. Oh, well. I'm sure Snokes' backstory coming up will make up for this. Really looking forward to seeing how that character pans out. By the way, uh, me, Han Solo, and Elvis all do a musical number together in the new Blade Runner. For those of you who enjoy uh, space adventures, just thought I'd pitch that. Nice crowd here tonight. Uh, Blade Runner. Still playing. Got a couple places in Chino. Emma Stone blares an air horn at him till he sits down. Meanwhile, Ray comes into Snorks' red room in handcuffs while Adam Driver pouts. Snorks is all, ha, you Jedi always run away. Then you just give yourselves up. I love it. And we emperors can never be taken by surprise because we see the future. See, Driver, you're useless as usual. Hang on, let me just put your lightsaber right here next to me on the coffee table. Ah, there. Ray's all, Driver, I sense good in you. Snorks is all, yeah, good stupidity. <laughs> oh, my pancreas. Adam Driver and Ray trick the Emperor's guys in red raincoats by killing them. She hugs Driver and goes, Hello? <laughs> you guys are awful quiet over there. She hugs Driver and goes, We should have sex unless we're related. He's all, no, I told you, your parents are irrelevant. That's a big twist. Although since Abrams is doing episode nine, they'll probably turn out to be a pit. Oh, well, as long as you don't say anything stupider. She leans in for the kiss. Driver's all, my favorite movie last year was King's Speech. She attacks him and they use hand gestures to break Luke's lightsaber in half. Then she <laughs> runs away. Mission accomplished. Driver stares after her, looking confused. He stares down at his hand as Han's bronze CG baby booties disappear in his fist. His hand's wet again, so he sighs and looks around for paper towels. I look over at Dr. Evazan sitting beside me and go, Adam Driver's almost an anagram for Darth Vader. The only issue is the M. <laughs> Tell me Walrus Vader doesn't like me, so I apologize. Meanwhile, on the Rebel Death Star, Oscar Isaacson points a gun at Laura Dern and goes, Look, the way you're making us run away from these Ugnaughts is so dumb. Leah shoots him and pats Laura Dern on the shoulder and goes, My black friend and his Asian pipe cleaner blew up a casino, so we need either one of the droids or you... Uh, to steer this empty flagship around while the rest of us go down to that planet and wait for walkers to kill us. <laughs> Third act. 93%. Brian Johnson. I'm on script, finished early. Months early. Anyway, Laura Dern, if you think you can steer things randomly. Laura Dern's all, I learned it from you. Beep Boop rolls around while R2 scowls at him. 3PO walks up and goes, R2, did you see me refuse to be part of Oscar Isaac's mutiny? It was my only scene. Beep Boop and R2 look away uncomfortably. The rebels go down to the planet where there's a hot base. <laughs> One guy leans down, licks some white dirt, then stares at the red stuff under and goes, Hey guys, look, some salt. And red stuff. The Asian guy walks up, quickly removing his imperial hat and replacing it with the rebel one. He's all, uh, uh, General Princess, ma'am, uh, Lord Dern just screwed up some calculations and accidentally ran her ship through the middle of the Star Destroyer. 
Oscar Isaacson's all. See, I told you she was dumb. <laughs> Leah's all. Well, may the force have a bad feeling about this. Meanwhile, in a lame vehicle, Oscar Isaacson's all. Okay, everybody, watch your flanks. Uh, drag the back spiky part of these across the ground. I guess that's how they run, like trolley cars. Good luck. <laughs> Finn attacks the walkers by driving straight into their line of fire and shutting his eyes, while Pink Taco attacks them by sideswiping Finn and making them both crash. Somehow, she's the only one hurt. Finn cradles her and goes, what the hell were you even trying to do? She wipes some dirt on her cheek and goes, what we Webbles always do, black friend, <clears throat> crash into the ones we love. <laughs> she loses interest. <laughs> Finn stares at her unconscious body in his arms. Then he looks up and he's all, wait a second, I'm black? Meanwhile, Oscar Isaacson drives back into the rebel base and goes, yeah, I was going to attack the walkers with our minorities, but then I didn't want to. Because uh, Laura Durant's character taught me that running away is cool. Princess Lee is all, guess you taught her that. <laughs> Actually, uh, tell me, I have no idea. <laughs> the Asian guy's all, hey, uh, characters, Leah, uh, we just... <laughs> Back way out of these tunnels, but it's blocked by a bunch of small rocks, like pebbles. Uh, we have no tech that's good against those flying around here in the base. It's armored, but there's no, you know. So I don't know how the rock thing happened. Anyway, your brother's also here. Uh, also, the walkers are stopping uh, and waiting for us to do something dumb. <laughs> Luke walks up to Lee and goes, I may not be able to help you move those rocks right now, but it's time I teach Kylo Ren a lesson about responsibility. He shakes hands with her. She's all, holy shit, is that Hamill? Jesus, you really let yourself go. When she pulls his hat away, it's wet with blue milk. Luke winks at her and goes, no one's ever really gone, except Lando, or if they die. He walks out and stands in front of the walkers doing nothing. Leah shakes her head and goes, same old Han. Oscar Isaacson's all, hey, uh, wait, I alone understand what he's doing. He wants us all to not watch him do this right now and run away the back tunnel and hope something moves the rocks out of our way. Oh. Genius. Beep Boop drives a walker past shooting porgs. Everybody's all beep boop. That's not motivated. Meanwhile, Kyle <laughs> I'll teach that guy to murder me and makes all the walkers shoot guns at the ground in front of Luke. When the CG clears, Luke smirks and wipes some bug shit off his shoulder, just like Yoda trained him to do. The Asian guy's all, hey, sir, uh, I'm getting a Jedi ghost hologram error message on my <laughs> here. Uh, Shut up. I've seen no evidence of Jedi astral projection in this movie. Kylo Ren dries off his hand, thinks his bug shit's so cool. Goes outside and lightsabers Luke till nothing happens. As driver's lightsaber realizes Luke's made out of CG, Luke's all, ha ha, I made you draw your lightsaber for nothing. <laughs> Didn't cost me anything. <laughs> His laughs turned to coughs. On Ireland, he dies and his clothes collapse, so his spirit ghost will be naked in episode nine. Leah and the rebels watch as Ray uses her hand gesture and closed eyes to move rocks out of the way. Leah is all, what's your name again? On the Ugnaught, Kylo Ren watches all the rebel ships taking off from the planet's surface in front of him. 
Admiral Red here is all. Uh, wait, they walked through a tunnel, only have a five-minute lead. We have the whole planet surrounded. Shouldn't we, you know, keep chasing them and kill them with rocks? That's it? Come on, what? <laughs> Luke's dead. We got this. Kyle runs all, nope. Luke's propaganda <laughs> trick was too good. We'll just seethe impotently. You'll see. Night times the charm. <laughs> Meanwhile, for some reason, Leah decides to have Pink Taco recuperate from her injuries in a room full of cheering rebels. <laughs> Scream. Ray tucks in Pink Taco, goes in for the handshake with Finn, and goes, So Stokes dead, Luke and Han also. What's Abrams got to even work with benign, more Kylo Ren tants to John Williams' riffs? Leah taps her cigarette ash into BB 8, hands Finn her dirty dishes, puts a pillow over Pink Taco's face, slaps Oscar Isaacson again, and goes, We have everything we need. Meanwhile, some kids play with Star Wars toys until a red hell beast comes in and pukes at them angrily. They make the slow white kid go outside and dispiritedly sweep up some popcorn and Star Wars cups without using the force. He looks up in the sky as a bird flies into an electric fence. Then he scowls up at the stars and brandishes his push broom at them angrily. George Lucas driving a pickup truck full of hooping gungans drives by honking. In the flatbed, Jar Jar throws his poop onto the push broom kid's foot, Dingus. We slowly pad up to the kid's face as a single tear runs down his cheek. Wow. Online, I read the kid character's name is Tamiri Blag. Some words tell me who had to shave Luke. The end. <clears throat> Kelly Wan, that was pretty epic. Longest Star Wars, longest opsis. Is it the longest Star Wars? Yeah, two and a half. It's like a Godfather movie. It's like all. It's like Godfather three. I guess that's right. Yeah, the other one. Okay, I mean, that sounds about. How long is Force Awakens? A little shorter, like two, right. two and eighteen, and this one's like two and a half. But there's a lot of credits. All right. Well, Dingus, I need you to go first. What's your over under? What did you think of Star Wars: uh, The Last Jedi? Uh, all right. Um, so my. Uh, over would be a movie that a friend of mine just bought me called Your Name, uh, which is an anime movie, uh, which I wish I could have Kelly synopsize because I know he loves talking about anime. It's easy uh, to opsize it. <laughs> I really, really love that movie. I just saw it last night, but it has there's some connective tissue between uh, that movie and this movie, but I'm not going to talk about that. Because uh, Your Name is a movie you guys should probably see. Um, so I can't really tell you exactly why it's an over, but it's an over. Um, the under, I would put um, uh, a worse second movie that has to carry water for the middle part of a trilogy. That would be The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug, uh, I would put as under this movie. Um because I just thought that that was way too much of uh, – I, I, I always get this quote wrong. It's like uh, too little butter spread on bread or whatever it is, mm. uh, whatever that quote is that, that uh, Bilbo has. Um, it's just – it was just not enough. There's not enough there to make that whole movie. And I really thought it was ridiculous. And there's also a weird romance that they try to cobble together that doesn't quite work. Uh, at the last minute, um, I, I actually quite like this movie. I'm sorry to disappoint you guys, uh, 
I, I really, I, I like The Last Jedi a lot. I realize it's probably 45 minutes, half an hour too long. Um, but I like some of the things that it's going for. Uh, I really like, um, even though, even though the obvious thematic elements of, uh, sometimes you have to let things die, uh, are said over and over again in the movie. I think the movie is doing that about all the other movies that come before it. And I think that that is on purpose. Uh, th- this is my theory about the movie. I have no idea if I'm right about it, but that's kind of how I'm viewing it as I look at several of the scenes of it. I think it's trying to kill off the other movies. Um, I think it takes too long to do so. Uh, I think there are some painful parts of it, but I really, really liked it a lot. Sorry to tell you. All right. Well, that's what I was worried about because I'll, I'll go next. I, I thought this was terrible. I thought this was a horrible script. I don't think Ryan Johnson is a good director. I think it betrays so much of what I liked about Force Awakens. Uh, it's clunky and awkward and it makes no sense and it steps on its own toes and its sense of humor consistently is out of sorts. I mean, it's the, the, the humor is not humorous. Um, God, I really hated this, but I liked it better than Rogue One. Because Rogue One, I think, was a similar issue. It was a terrible script. I don't think the director knew what he was doing. Uh, but at least in this, and there was none of this in Rogue One, uh, I, it was characters that I like and that I care about. Um, I, I care a lot about Ray uh, and about Finn and about Poe. And even though I think this movie did a kind of a terrible job in terms of furthering them, uh, I liked seeing more of them. And I didn't feel that way about anyone in Rogue One because I didn't know any of those people. Uh, so also in this movie, uh, I got uh, – like I liked the, some of the actors in this. I loved seeing Benicio Del Toro and Laura Dern. Uh, I really liked Rose, the new character played by uh, Kelly Marie Tran. Uh, she was great. I had a great time with, with her. Um, so unlike Rogue One, I really liked the characters in this. But I would put this underneath uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh, because I, at least with the turn of the Jedi, where I did care about the characters, because you know I'd grown up with them. Uh, in Return of the Jedi, I thought there were some thrilling action sequences, a sense of resolution. Uh, none of that here. Uh, this I thought had, didn't have really maybe a couple of good scenes, but I couldn't have cared less what happened to anyone. I, I didn't think there was much of a sense of resolution. Uh, God, it was just I, – I hated this, and I was so worried Dingus was going to like it, and then I'm going to have to <laughs> sound like a wet blanket. I, Dingus, I, yeah, I don't I, – I don't – I can't imagine very many people liked it. I, I can't Dingus, imagine. Dingus, 93% I, I of Rotten Tomatoes, I, Metacritic, yeah. it's doing better than Force Awakens. But I Medicaid. think people who really love – People who really love Star Wars, I don't think liked it. I don't know. I, well, I don't I really love Star Wars. I, I'm super dismissive about Star Wars. Oh, uh, point, I, I just think it's a. T- I, I mean, I really, I, I mainly have a problem with Ryan Johnson. I think the guy has no idea what he's doing. He was a one-trick pony. Brick was good because he had a cool idea for a script. He had the 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 sort of the hunger of a young uh, USC film student. And he had lucked into getting an actor who was on the verge of his well-deserved stardom, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Mm-hmm. Brick is excellent, but uh, Brothers Bloom, Looper, uh, those are problematic. And I think this is just another sign that for me, I don't – Ryan Johnson, I just I – I'm not a fan of what he's been doing since Brick. So 
I don't know. Well, I, I, really I, liked, really, I liked Looper a lot, but I agree with you on Brothers. And I, I went into this with super lowered expectations intentionally, thinking, well, surely it's not going to be that bad. I'll be pleasantly surprised. And no such thing happened. So, so Kelly Wan, get in here. Give me an over and under in your overall takeaway about, about this movie. Uh, <laughs> well, my under's Rogue One. It's better than that movie. But it has the same ish. I think my over would be any other Star Wars movie because I think these characters are boring as shit. Um, is that lame, Dingus? All right, Dark Knight, Godfather Two, Any Middle movie, Makes Matrix Reloaded, Robocop Two. Um, for the first fifteen minutes, I was actually thinking they were jump streeting it with that stuff between Poe Dameron and Admiral Red Hair, and I actually looks like what they're going to do, like the whole movie, like a parody of a star wars movie but then it kind of settled down um i like that it's weird it's maybe the weirdest star wars movie um but i think the thing that sucks about it for me is that these characters it's not even that the characters are boring it's that they're not friends it's like luke doesn't know or care who thin or poe dameron are and part of what made star wars star wars to me was that it forced han solo to hang out with c-3po for three movies (laughs) and he couldn't stand him and these guys are all on different missions, and there's people we don't know. We don't see. And like Hansel and Leah fighting, there's nothing here that fun. Like these characters just don't interact as interestingly as the original Star Wars movie characters do. And I was a little bummed that it wasn't Leah who went out and faced the Walkers and Kylo Ren with the lightsaber and avenge Han. Uh, and also, no good Star Wars movie has a kid in it because there's no kids in the original trilogy. And I really liked that as a kid. Like it was all adults, and it gave the universe a lot of gravitas. So when I see kids. I go, oh, I'm not watching some toothless bullshit kids movie. So I hated how this ended. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I think that's a that's a key point for me, Kelly Wan, is Force Awaken uh, – a lot of what works about Force Awakens is uh, Ray – is Daisy uh, uh, Ridley and John Boyega – uh, interacting with each other, hanging out, getting to know each other, him tricking her about being in the resistance, her being a little starry-eyed about it, uh, her her liking him and then him wanting to leave. And the, the tension between them is they got to know each other and they were friends. That was a big part of what drove that movie. And then you put on top of that Harrison Ford. Uh, mm-hmm. And as much as I bag on the fact that I think that – you know, I love Harrison Ford, the man – uh, you know, he was a movie father to all of us as we grew up, and he was Indiana Jones and Han Solo. And uh, but when I talk about Dwayne Johnson being a better actor, um, that in no that that is not meant to necessarily denigrate Harrison Ford because he was a he he's a he's a fantastic presence. His presence is so uh, substantial in a movie, whether it's Mosquito Coast or Star Wars, whether I approve of him as an actor or not. And so when you put him in Force Awakens on top of these two young, exciting actors with exciting characters becoming friends, that right there, like that is a fantastic formula for a script. And it drives Force Awakens. And it made me super excited to see that movie and to rewatch that movie. Mark Hamill, as much as. He was miswritten. Like the Han Solo was saying Han Solo things in Force Awakens. Like I liked him in that. And the, and but Luke was way off in this. Do you think? 
uh, Mark Hamill, I don't think, has that presence that Harrison Ford has. And Harrison Ford's presence has been a huge factor in a couple of movies that I love that play on my reminiscence of older movies, and that's Blade Runner 2049 and Force Awakens. And I don't think that Mark Hamill, as an actor, or even Luke as a character, can carry that sort of weight or that sort of impact. And yeah, you're right, Kelly One. I think the script – one of the problems with the script is – you know, having Luke Ruins do Luke. that little shoulder uh, brushing the dust off and Ugh. winking at people, uh, having Luke play the cranky old Yoda, like none of that works. And I don't think Mark Hamill really can carry any of that the way that Harrison Ford simply showed us uh, Han Solo finally believing in the Force. Like that's a big deal, and that was super moving in Force Awakens, and nothing that they have Mark Hamill trying to do here is even close to that. So all the things that I loved in Force Awakens – None of that was here, uh, and I, I feel that that's it's a fundamental flaw with the script. The script has this weird thing. It, you, like you say, Kelly Wan, it's not friends interacting. They're all going off on their own places. Yeah, like they're all. And even when characters do try to connect, like that weird, awkward. It was almost like telepathic butt dialing where Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver realized they're talking to each other. Like, yeah. There was no connection there. They weren't yeah. even in the same room. And to add, sort of add this weird like erotic subtext where he's got his shirt off, like all of that just didn't <laughs> feel right, and it didn't work for, for me. They don't um, say anything good, and nothing happens. Like it, where are they at the end of the – if you can't describe what their relationship is at the end of the movie or the beginning, like she hated him. I mean, I, it, friends. It, yeah, there was some weird twists that I'm not sure were really – I mean, you say it's a weird Star Wars movie, Kelly Wand, and I agree with you. I mean, to its maybe that's to its credit because Force Awakens was really just J.J. Abrams right. hitting the same beats as Star Wars, and I'm totally okay with that. And I'm also okay – you know, I don't mind if Ryan Johnson wants to do something different and not just remake Empire. And there were some cool kind of inversions on some Empire stuff in, in this. But uh, I just don't think it's a good script, regardless of whether or not it's uh, Star Wars. All right, Dingus, get in here. Tell me some things that you liked. Uh, what what were some just, things? I just think that everything you guys just said was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree with you, Dingus, that, there's, that he's killing off old Star Wars. And I was very I, conscious. I think that, that he's I doing like that deliberately. And I, and I love it. And I think that uh, that... Uh, I totally disagree with, uh, and, and I, you know, when I said everything you guys just said was wrong, I was quoting the movie. Sure. Um, uh, so don't take offense. Um, I, I just think that I think Mark Hamill is given the unenvi- unenviable job of basically having to kill the Yoda character. I mean, that's his job. He has to kill the Jedi, and he has to keep saying that, and that's what they're doing, and that's what Ryan Johnson is doing. He's he's destroying those these. He's destroying a lot of from. He starts with, you know, destroying some of the uh, prequel stuff. I mean, that that race that they go to on Casino Planet, uh, Las Vegas Planet, uh, that's sort of a deliberate pod race reference. But now we have to understand, OK, this is about slavery. This is about oppression. This is what this is actually about. You know, it might seem cute. We're going to do some cute things, but basically, we're going to destroy this. And Yoda's going to show up and be cackling and goofy, but basically, we're going to destroy that. We're going to destroy everything that we're going to have the throne room scene, but basically, we're going to subvert it and destroy it. We're going to kick all of those things off. And I think Mark Hamill is given this really difficult job, and I think he does a great, 
job at it. And I really love what the, some of the things that they do with Mark Hamill, and I love some of the things that he does with it. I disagree with you that he can't handle it. I, I really think that that the things that he has to do uh, to be this, like, I don't want to do any of this character and then have to show up at the end in a younger guise, um, which I think one of our listeners, I think it's Aaron Kane who says this, um, it's brilliant that he shows up basically in the guise of what Kylo Ren would have remembered him as, you know, looking younger and all, and, and speaking in, in a way, saying the things that, that, Kylo Ren would have remembered him saying, and I didn't catch that at first. Uh, I, I mean, I think that the things that, that Mark Hamill has to do in this movie are really difficult, and I think that he carries them off well. Now, I, I do agree that some of the writing is problematic, and it's hard for him to carry it off, but I think he really does a great job at doing it. And that stuff with with Ray and, and Kylo Ren, I think is amazing. I think it's some of the best stuff in the movie. I don't understand why you guys hate it so much. So weird. Wait, which part? The lightsaber duel or him get murdering him in his sleep? Scene? Or the or oh, telepathic butt dialing? Which part do you mean? Which well, is the good part? I'm not, I'm not going to call it telepathic butt dialing. I think that's dismissive of what's actually going on. I really like the way that that's handled. Oh, I, it like, is. I mean, they don't, I like they don't know. They've accidentally tapped. It's like picking up, not realizing someone's on the phone because I can't remember his name. Now. Snoke, Snoke, whatever. Uh, the guy connected them. And they didn't realize they were talking to each yeah, other. Well, that's not what butt dialing is. But anyway. It is too. It's when you realize you're, someone's on the other end of your cell phone. It's not when a third party makes two people get a, a contact. <laughs> the cell, if the cell phone is a third party, yes, that's, it is. Nope. <laughs> That's if not the third person not uses the their butt. I'm, I'm not going to – I just think you're being dismissive, but that's fine. Well, I'm being dismissive because it's, a, it's a silly – it's a ridiculous way to get two characters to talk to each other. Hey, we're going to telepathically just have people – and especially because it's, hand, it's shot so clumsily. Like there are ways you can do that. There are plenty of ways you can have characters oh, connect like over time and time and over, over distances like that. I, 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 okay, I, I disagree with it. I disagree with the term butt dialing. You can use it however you want. I love how the music drains out of the scene at that point. I love that. I love their confusion. I love how there's this, uh, like, I can see you, but I can't see your surroundings. I, I love that. Sort uh, of, then he sees it. Yeah, but he, that's not even consistent. That's, He's all, oh, it's um, Luke. Uh, I don't oh, put on. a shirt on. You're, could you put on a, a cowl or no, a, a towel or whatever she tells him to put on? I can see you, but I can't see your surroundings. I really love that. Uh, I love. And this. rain There's comes a- through it, by the way. Like it's a, it, like you can get wet by looking at someone in the rain. I also love how there's this this awesome connection between the two of them. That there's there's I, I think that there's there is a chemistry between the two of them, and I think those scenes really work for me. Um, and I I think that they do have a really great scene consistency in those in those scenes. And the and I think the Ray and Luke stuff really works. I I don't know. I just disagree. It's a lame send off for him. He doesn't get to do anything fun. Because for, for, who, for Adam mean? Driver or for Mark Hamill? For who doesn't Mark get to Hamill, do something fun? What does that mean? He doesn't get to do anything cool against the Walkers. Like that's not a that's not a cool. I really if thought that really been him. It would have been more exciting. I really thought going out there that there was going to be some kind of like crazy because isn't there like a super kid in Looper who has superpowers? Uh, I thought Luke was going to go out there and do something crazy well, and over the top like that and just blow up all the Walkers. And but he has the, that. Line at the beginning, he was all, what am I going to go out there with a laser sword and do all this shit? And then he actually would do it at the end. Like, I thought that would have been a cool. And, and also the fact that it, it felt like a real cheat, this idea of a – like, so it was – he was just a hologram, but, but yet he was – 
he was touching Leia. Like Leia didn't know he was a hologram. Maybe she did. Who knows? And I, it just felt like a big cheat, uh, this idea that, yeah, he's a hologram. They all saw him. And that they also didn't – that they fell for it? Like how else – if all of those shots go in one place, and I, like how do you then not know that, okay, he's not really there? I don't know. It just really felt like what, what was supposed to be a twist and a cool new power uh, was just sloppy, a sloppy script again. And it's to hold walkers off for a couple minutes so everyone can run down a tunnel. Like I don't that's not how I want to see Luke Skywalker. That's well, even, I don't want him even to be the, his final act. And even the whole central like, like whole stretches is this, this whole idea that a cruiser is gonna run like has to run slowly away from a bunch of star destroyers and it's gonna run out of fuel and it shields. Like it was fuel. this weird it was this weird technobabble logistics plot. Uh, the, the, the plot was driven by this kind of silliness, which – where does that come from, and how does that fit into a space opera? Like it just felt really weird to me, uh, this, the, this slow chase. Like why can't the, the TIE fighters catch up? Or It just felt really yeah, contrived, and it felt no sen- – it, it made no sense, and I just felt like Ryan Johnson just wanted me to just not ask any questions and just accept whatever weird thing he was going to tell me about logistics, about fuel consumption, about what Laura Dern was doing and was and wasn't telling Poe Dameron. Uh, the mutiny thing. Oh my god, that was so lame. Like, So Poe Dameron is going to lead a mutiny that could have been averted by Laura Dern just saying, look, here's what we're doing. Yeah. He does Leo that. Shut it down. Aaron Kane calls the chase the white Bronco chase. I mean, Which even sense? well, I mean, you know, a, the OJ Simpson, like a bunch of cop yeah. cars chasing OJ Simpson. But that, and by the way, you know, Alexander Burns, who hasn't written in in a long time, agrees with you guys about the brushing his shoulder off. He said, "Well, the rest of the audience giggled wildly. He shook his head in shame." Well, there, there, and I just think it's a tone issue. And I think right from the beginning. You know, Kelly Wand calls it uh, jump streeting. The, the fact that the the first joke in the movie makes you think, oh, is this going to be a, a different kind of movie? Like like making a joke about being put on hold on the telephone right off yeah. the bat. That's a joke that this movie is going to introduce. That's, like, so that's now that that's first like in, that that re- that reminds me of a super big misstep in um oh shoot uh the red not not wild what's the redhead. Uh, Archer chick, the Pixar Brave, Brave. In Brave, if you remember, there's a joke with the witch mm-hmm. about being put on a on a, a telephone operator dialing thing, like press one to do blah blah blah. It's a stupid yeah. joke that has no place in the universe of Brave, and they still put it in there, and it was dumb, and I didn't like it. Uh, to to right out of the gate, add a, a telephone humor joke to Star Wars was weird to me. That's what excited me. Like, oh, it's going to be that. It's right, going right, to be right. Thor Ragnarok. Holy shit! And then it wasn't Thor Ragnarok. Exactly, Kelly Wand. Like, if you're going to do a Thor Ragnarok thing, but it, yeah. I just think that it, it's it's out of it's a it's it's the script not having a sense of what kind of tone it's going for, and that brushing of the shoulder, Luke doing that, that felt like the same thing. You know, here he was. In this movie, it so trivializes so many noble sacrifices too. Like noble sacrifice after noble sacrifice after noble sacrifice. It got to be a bit much, and then it ended with another noble sacrifice. Luke, you know, draining himself to death doing this holograph trick. Uh, at that moment, to do the line, <laughs> yeah. and he's trivializing too. This, this, this. You know, in space opera, the family relationships are a big deal, and it's what Star Wars always got right. And Luke facing down for the final time the nephew who he betrayed 
Yeah. And then to smirk at him and do a little gesture like brushing and saying, you know, so long, kid, or whatever. It just felt like like the writer had no idea what he was doing and was betraying these characters and these emotions and these moments. Uh, he just didn't understand them. It just but felt you understand so what Luke is doing is keeping this kid from killing his own mother. That's what he's doing right there. He's saving their family. He's not sure. Just, I, mean, I know, and that's part epic. of it is the brushing off. And Chris Markinson really liked that brushing the shoulder thing, and I did too. He's saving their family. He's not just. I mean, he might be smirking. It might be snarky right there. But what he's actually doing is keeping this kid from killing his mother. He's saving their family. I mean, whatever happens going forward, he has saved this relationship, and he saved. I mean, within the span of, the, of these two movies, this kid has tried to – has killed his father, has tried to kill his mother, or almost killed his mother, and almost killed his uncle, who is who are three – these three most important people in his life. And Luke has saved their family by doing this. This isn't an, a, a, an, a non-understanding of how family works. It is an understanding of how I'm family works. I'm not saying works. it's not understanding he's, how family works. I'm saying it sacrificed himself to save their family. Right. I'm saying it doesn't understand the importance of the moment, Dingus, and you understand the importance of the moment. I don't think Ryan Johnson does. For instance – you know why he has to save his family? Because of Rose. If Rose – we could have lost John Boyega in that scene, or we could have lost Luke Skywalker. We could have lost Finn or Luke Skywalker. But Ryan Johnson gives us a story in which Finn is going to nobly sacrifice himself, but nope. Rose stops ruins him. Ruins it. Ruins it. Ruins his noble sacrifice and dooms the rebels and Luke Skywalker. You know, the the, the events that were happening here, I, I think it's, it's, it's a it's – a, a comically uh, proportioned misunderstanding of the importance of moments like that thing. You're right, thing. That's huge. Luke Skywalker saving a boy from killing his own mother. That's awesome. But the only reason it has to happen is because John Boyega is going to nobly sacrifice himself, and oh, the girl's in love with him, so she knocks him out of the way. It's just clumsy contrivances, uh, and I don't feel that that the script appreciates the importance of the moments the way that you're pointing out. I wish you'd directed uh, Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah, because like that is—that's your right, Dingus. That's huge, and that's the stuff of space opera that that I really respond to, and that makes Star Wars work so well. You know, I love the moment. For instance, uh, I, I love um, this. So there are some really cool things in this movie, and one of the, some of the really cool things are super small, and, I, and the, they're the kind of things that I feel belonged in a better movie. And one thing I loved is Kylo Ren not pulling the trigger when he's got. Uh, the cruiser the, the, under his targeting reticle, and he knows he's going to kill Princess Leia. He knows he's going right. to kill his mother. I love the fact that he doesn't pull the trigger, but what the stupid wingmen do their job, and they pull the trigger. That's a great moment that is completely trivialized when Princess Leia can fly in space. Oh, God. And she doesn't do it to help anyone. Because that's she the thing. That's thing is, do a double sacrifice. That's a beautiful moment that I don't feel Ryan Johnson understands the importance of it when he immediately walks it back with this ridiculous Mary Poppins in space sequence, which yeah, looks so clumsy. Too. Yeah, but, yeah. But, So, Dingus, you're Star right. Lord. I, I want to like the things in this that you like, Dingus, but I'm just outraged that I don't think Ryan Johnson understood them or, or <laughs> and he's getting lionized for it tom oh he's getting i mean it's uh, you know uh, and that's fine Here, here's the ultimate thing i you know and it's why i was dreading tonight because I, I was afraid dingus would like this and i you know i love that 
people like this. I love that people love Star Wars, and that's great. But it's increasingly proving to not be, for me, the same way that it wasn't for me when Lucas was just a doddering old fool making super expensive cartoons with the prequels. I was fine with the prequels, and if someone wants to like the prequels, that's fine. If someone loves Last Jedi, that's fine. That's great. And Dingus, I'm super happy for you, and I'm, I bet your son loved it. I want to hear about that. But I'm just, here's the thing is I feel like I got so teased with Force Awakens. Now he's doing it with characters that I love and I want to be along with. I didn't care about Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I didn't care about uh, whoever Liam Neeson was playing, and I didn't care about Christian Hayden's whatever. The prequels didn't matter to me, but Force <laughs> Awakened mattered to me. It got me super excited again. So I'm really bummed to discover that I don't think Star Wars is for me anymore. It happened again. So uh, It can't be anymore. This is the new Star Wars, Tom. It's the new well, one. But don't you think that there's there's a certain amount of water carrying that a second movie in a trilogy has to do? Empire. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that, I do, Dingus, and that's, that's one of the reasons that I had super low expectations for this, but – I, I'm just really down on Ryan Johnson's script and direction, uh, aside from whether carrying that, that water or not. He, here's – let me ask you guys about this. So just looking at this movie structurally, uh, I kind of am okay with the idea of everybody's going off and doing different missions. And yeah. like in theory, I don't mind that Finn went off with Rose. And again, I can't stress enough. I really, really liked Rose's character. I liked that actress a lot. I love this thing that um, – neither of you have seen the new Star Trek TV show, right? No. <laughs> so there's a, there's a character in the new Star Trek TV show. Uh, her name is Tilly, and she's played by an actress named – oh, shoot, Melissa Wiley, I want to say, whatever. And Tilly is uh, – she, she, I think she's kind of designed to appeal to young geek women. And I don't mean that dismissively. I'm a geek too, but I, I love this idea to appeal to, to women who are dorks, who are into nerdy things like like science and video games or whatever. Uh, and, and Tilly in Star Trek is that kind of character, and I love seeing her. I think she's really funny. The actress is really warm. Uh, she's very talented. She's a gorgeous actress, but they, they dress her down, try to make her look normal, and that's kind of cool is to not glamorize her, not try to make her look like some glamorous supermodel. Like Make her look like a normal person. I love that, and I love that they did that with Rose. And the actress who played Rose was very capable. She was able to be super emotional. Um, her affection for Finn was obvious. Uh, she had great comic timing. Uh, I, I loved that woman. So if we want to have a plot line where Rose and Finn go off, I'm okay with that in theory. But what became – like didn't they screw up everything? It's kind of like Rose knocking Finn out of the way. Is That's what – leads to us losing Luke Skywalker is Finn would have saved the day. But when they go to the casino and they pick up and they fail to get the supercracker and they pick up Benicio del Toro who turns them in and gives away Laura Dern's plan, doesn't that whole subplot basically mean they screwed up the movie? Yeah, well they're basically they're they're to you they're the same they're they're the utility characters. They're basically right. 3PO and R2. Ah. Um, uh. He's a janitor. She's working behind pipes. I mean, <laughs> they're sort of stumbling around, and there's an awkward, maybe this is romantic. Why, why are we kissing? There's no real heat between them. I just think they're stumbling characters who are messing things up, and I think you're right. But I think that's okay. part of the design. Because here, Dingus, is I think the way it was written 
and the way it was supposed to be and the way that I don't think Ryan Johnson highlighted enough. They screwed everything up, and it's by design. And, and actually, Dingus, maybe you are aware of this, but it, 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 it occurs to me thinking about this. On the contrary, they are the ones who saved the day. Because the point of the movie should is, and it should be, and I feel it's it's a, it feels like a bit of an afterthought, is that the resistance is crushed, and we are left with only a Millennium Falcon full of people. Those are the mm-hmm. only survivors of the resistance. But what the end of the movie shows us is that Rose and Finn have sown the seeds of uh, basically social welfare, of, of, of yep. justice in the face of inequality on this casino planet, maybe unknowingly, uh, that them being there has sown the seeds for the future of the resistance. And that is a, that's a big point. Like that's, that's kind of a major deal. Um, and that's the thing where, where Leia is like, send out my personal code. You know, she's sending this. The, the resistance is all over the galaxy. They just aren't organized. They and they they're not together, and well, nobody has responded. And this, and I think you're right about that. I think that this is sowing the seeds for that to happen. Well, but that's a huge deal, though, Dingus. If the movie wants to tell us that all of this military stuff and all of this running away and all of these calculations and plans about you know having the fuel and sneaking the the shuttles away, all of that comes to naught, that ultimately it's all about going to disaffected places where there's economic inequality and instilling a sense of social justice. Like that is if you if that's the point you want to make with your movie, and I feel like that's what that's that little coda was trying to that's the point that coda was trying to make, then make that point with your movie. Like it kind of gets swallowed in that little coda. I love that point. And I would have loved to have seen Star Wars make a movie about that. But this movie wasn't about that. This was something that this mo- that this movie kind of got kind of got around to eventually making that point. Like it, it felt like an afterthought. Uh, but but I think this is again another way that he's putting to death this idea of we can destroy as many gigantic Death Stars or superstar destroyers or dreadnoughts or ugnaughts or. We can destroy as many of those as we want to. We can shoot as many things, and we can attack our enemies as many times as we want. This isn't going to really help. <laughs> it's just going to beget more violence. And and I think that that's it, he's he's kind of putting to rest those. I mean, we destroyed one Death Star. We destroyed another Death Star, and then we decided uh, we destroyed a planet-sized Death Star. Well, and nothing has changed. So now he's saying, OK, forget all that. Well, I don't think he's saying that thing <laughs> because this movie definitely plays with the spectacle of destroying stuff and wants that to thrill you and excite you. Like this movie yeah. isn't doing like a Rogue One. Hey, we're going to show the horrors of war to try to de-glamorize okay. it. This movie's not yeah. doing that. This movie's clearly has this. War is awesome. Yeah, I mean you know, it has this, Rogue, this sort of Rogue fetish. Rogue One sets up this, sets up the idea of what he's going for in this because no. uh, the, the thing that's destroyed in this is a dreadnought. Woo. Well, why are you going woo? What's good? Like, well, well I, no, no, because Dingus, I think that the, uh, clearly this movie is reveling in the spectacle of space battles. Like this movie doesn't want to invalidate that or color it with any sort of moral gray or horrors of war stuff. I mean we're clearly supposed to be thrilled at, at the, the, the dreadnought blowing up, at Snoke's big old ship blowing up. Um, like all of that is still cool in the eyes of the movie, I, I think. Um, 
I, I, I just I, here's is I want to like that message, but it just felt tacked on. I guess that's my complaint. Is if that's what you want to do, is have Rose and Finn go off and fail spectacularly, but then make the point that no, they didn't fail spectacularly. Everybody else failed spectacularly, and they were the keys to our success. If that's the point you want to make. I just feel like it didn't make it well enough or strongly enough or consistently enough because um, I love that point. I would love if that had been the undercurrent of the script throughout rather than a kind of an oh, yeah moment I had you know, hours later thinking about the movie. Like that – honestly, it didn't occur to me that, oh, Rose and Finn, they didn't fail. They succeeded the whole thing. That's what the movie was showing us with that little boy sweeping, uh, right. which I feel is a little heavy-handed, but I want to like that idea. Um, and, and ultimately, though, I also am a little uncomfortable. It's kind of like with Rogue One, that obvious nod to the insurgents in Iraq with the scenes with the tanks and the stormtroopers. Like that was something deserts. that Rogue – pardon? Deserts and deserts too. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean that was something that was clearly on Rogue One's mind is Iraqi insurgents. And this movie with this bit about arms dealers and economic inequality, uh, I – those things matter to me. I would love to see science fiction about that, but I'm just not sure that – and, and Dingus, you, I would love for you to disagree with this and, and bring me around, but I'm just not sure that Star Wars is the place for that. I just feel weird having – like Star Wars – here, Star Wars uh, uh, indicting arms dealers, like making this little message about arms dealers being bad guys, and oops – Arms dealers sell arms to the rebels too, so there's this moral grayness here. Like all of that just feels really weird and out of place to me, and maybe it shouldn't. But that when Benicio del Toro snaps up the picture of the X-wing and says, "Oh look, you know the arms dealers are helping you too. You're complicit. Your good guys are also uh, participating in the economic inequality and suffering of these little kids." Like, it's well, so you- weird to me. How do you feel about the constant mention of fuel? Because that was weird for me. Because I don't think that has been brought up before. I also you know, don't think we've universe. ever seen. Have we ever seen those that shield special effect? Where uh, and maybe we have. Where I don't like where the the shots are bouncing off the invisible shield around the cruiser. Like is that new too? Maybe because well, that also felt weird. In Empire, the ship's getting pummeled by asteroids, but we're assuming it's hitting an yeah. invisible shield. Yeah, you're right. See. Yeah, no, because yeah, we never right. see a shield. I mean, but it's also. I, I just found the fuel thing very interesting. We're, we're constantly running out of fuel. Of fuel is a right. is an actual resource, right, and right. and in the other movies, I you know even when I was watching Never Star Wars for the first time, I was wondering how does the Death Star propel itself, and what is what, how are what are all the resources that are how being used here? How does Han know he can get to Alderaan right away? Like, yeah, we get We don't have to worry about it. But in this movie, they're constantly harping on fuel, right? And, and I that, find that, that interesting. Especially because I think the model for these spaceships is we're supposed to think of like nuclear-powered uh, ships, like carriers and whatnot, that right. basically have an infinite uh, supply of fuel, and the limit is on things like like food. Um, but that that definitely That's, was that was something that I, I thought was super awkward. The script yeah, made a plot point: fuel supplies. And uh, yeah, I, and in the in the in the expanded universe, there's like all this whole stuff about there's certain ships that keep you from jumping to hyperspace that you can have with you called interdictors, and so there's there's a lot of like complexity to the space combat in Star Wars that this movie really dumbs down. Well, do you think it's dumbing it down or do you think it's expanding it? Because like Aaron Kane, Aaron Kane asks like when he writes us, he asks. 
here's a bunch of things I would like you guys to discuss. We've discussed most of them. But one of the things that he says is, so do you think Ryan Johnson takes the franchise in an interesting new direction or just failed to give us something that felt like a Star Wars movie? And for Tom, I feel like what Tom is saying, it, it fails to give him something that feels like a Star Wars movie. But to do me, you think it – go ahead. I, I really do think it's it's Aaron, uh, Aaron – Ryan Johnson just doesn't care about uh, – He doesn't have the imagination to visualize a space battle. Well, he's, he's introducing plot contrivances uh, in lieu of, for dramatic tension because he can't think of – dramatic tension is great when it has to do with characters. And I think at Star Wars at its best is about the dramatic tension based on characters making decisions. When dramatic tension is based on when are we going to run out of fuel – uh, like that's not something – and, and, and here's the thing though. You can introduce dramatic tension with how long is it going to take the Death Star to swing around the moon of Yavin so it can shoot at it. That's fine because that's – that kind of makes sense, and it's, it's orbital physics, and we've got a big moon, and it's going to swing – You know, it's got to get in position. I can use that for dramatic tension for a moment, but when after nine movies or whatever, you're suddenly going to make me worry about fuel consumption, like, and, and it also feels super reminiscent of Battlestar Galactica, this idea of a ragtag yeah. fleet of survivors running yeah. uh, at the, you know, being uh, a bunch of... You have of, to get to a planet. That yeah, and a bunch of powerful, a big powerful killer fleet is on their tail. Like, it just felt derivative, and it was introducing a mechanic that Ryan Johnson wrote just so he could contrive a, a dramatic tension here that was never in evidence before. So it, it felt like he just didn't care about the mythology. He just wanted to add whatever for the contrivance. It's of, a really of boring – like there's nothing science fiction-y about it. They're running in a straight line away from a bigger ship, and they're out of fuel, and then they're going to a planet. It's just – I don't <laughs> – after eight movies, the Star Wars universe should be – a little more exciting. One of our listeners, unfortunately, we had a bunch of people write in, so I'm having trouble tracking a lot of what some of them said, but I'll, I'll figure it out as we go on. Um, said that, well, why don't you just send all the little ships on hyperspace out in different directions? <laughs> right. And not worry about it. I mean, they're not going to chase everybody down. I mean, it really does feel like, like Ryan Johnson just doesn't want us to ask questions. Yeah. And. Sometimes that works, and in this case, I I just don't think it does because he's got, you know, he's making a, a sequel. He's, right, he's working within an established universe with an established mythology, it's and this idea that you can only run in a straight line. Yeah, it just and tie fighters like we know the answers to the things he's setting up already from the other movies. And I think Chris Webb. Uh, is another one of our listeners who wrote in uh, agrees with you guys because he basically says the, the movie felt very small and yet it's so long but very little seemed to matter. Yeah. So it's interesting it's, that he says that this movie felt very small. And in, in Empire Strikes Back, it's uh, it kind of gets lost because you just assume the, the rebels are somewhere else. But it's like I always got the sense that Vader blew off the whole rebellion just to chase the Millennium Falcon with everything. Like, Fuck those guys. <laughs> this, these fuckers are going down, and so. That just made it more exciting and awesome. It was Han Solo taking on the entire Empire with one ship and winning with his little garbage. And that's the thing. The garbage thing makes sense. In Empire Strikes Back, I kind of get a sense of where things are geographically, even though the asteroid field should – I'm assuming it's not right around Hoth when we see it the first time. But in this, it's just like, oh, there's a planet with armor coming up. We have to go to it. I don't know. And there it's was weird like techno stuff too, like about trackers and well, like if we get to the one magic button and the like, they spent a little bit too much time 
trying to explain things or make it sound sciencey, which I uh, just and you can so, get out, go to a casino, but you're still running. Right, like, right, right. Exactly. Like, why didn't? Uh, yeah, they, that just felt they really weird. Easily. And I okay. Also, here's another deal. So, um, so is is the twist now that Ray has no special origins? Is it this whole idea you have no place in the story that that's really all who those she things, is? all those shots in Abrams's. Right, like, when she gets shows. magically, when she gets magically drawn to the cellar where Luke's lightsaber is in the basement of Maz's tavern, like that, all <laughs> that vision stuff, it, it didn't matter, or like what? What am I supposed to believe with that now? I, I don't have the answer. Like, I, like is is this then closing the book on Ray having some special destiny or, or origins? I should say, like she's just some girl who got abandoned on Jakku, and by the way, she happens to have great, great force powers. Is Which that is where the, fine, the but universe then why is? Just, why is that? A, why is that a twist? Like, why wouldn't that have just been her original origin? Like, why? This, this is one of uh, one of uh, our listener space monkey. This is Aaron Kane's uh, questions is, well, how do you feel about Ray coming from nowhere? Um, and th- I, do, does anybody else think that he's telling the truth when he says yeah, that her I parents are nobody's? Because she would call him. Why do, why do you assume he's telling the truth? Because he does the same thing that has been said. He puts it in the same phrasing that is said many, many other times in Star Wars, which is basically look into your heart. You know it to be true. Like, yeah. I, I think that. <laughs> But she, she doesn't contradict him, though. She doesn't contradict him. Anytime that's said to she someone, whether know. it's whether it's Darth Vader's mm. goodness or Luke uh, being Darth Vader's son, like that's Star Wars it's speak. Always for, true. For we both know this one thing. No, um, no, but they do that in this movie over and over again, and it's not necessarily true. And I think this is another of putting those things to rest. So it's a head fake, I, then. No, it's oh, not, not just a head, a head fake. I, mean, I, I, don't I wanna... think it's him. He could be flat out lying, or him just. He doesn't know, but he's telling her what he wants to tell her in order to get what he wants. Because that's what's so great about that throne room scene is because, you know, you, you know, you think, oh man, one of them is going to turn the other, and no, he's just—it's just a power play. But so why, why would we lie. assume he's telling her the truth? Well, I, I hope Dingus why is right. Why do you assume I, that? I hope Dingus is right. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope you're right. Because... right. It breaks what you just said, which is in Star Wars when a bad guy tells you something that intense about your 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 genealogy, it's always true. Yeah, well, it, it seems like she also believes it. Like it, she knows yeah. it's true. Like it's the the movie is implying to me in that scene. Dingus, I like your idea, but the, from the movie language of the way that you, it, it seems to me the movie is the telling me it. that she knows this. That she knows it's true, that she doesn't kind of – in the same way, by the way, that I feel yeah, – we can spoil Blade Runner, right? That I feel that when Jared Leto is talking to Han Solo about you know, <laughs> about, about you're a replicant, like I, I just feel like this is movie language. When a character doesn't disagree with something, we, we, we the audience, know that he's not disagreeing because he also or she knows it to be true. Um, and maybe Unless I'm wrong, James. I would, I would love to be wrong. Ignorant, yeah. I mean, she, but she's, not, she's waited she... her whole life for these moments to happen, and now somebody of greater power is but telling her something. If it's a lie, she doesn't know how to. I mean, she doesn't know. She has she has no information to go on. 
Well, I hope I mean, Dingus is right because this whole idea of you know you have no place in the story that works great for uh, noir, like for sci-fi noir, yeah. like Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which is where it's a great twist, and I loved it in that movie. If that's the point for Ray, I again just feel Ryan Johnson is missing the whole point of space opera in spectacularly secret destinies. You know, no farm boy is a simple farm boy. You've got a destiny out in the stars, like that's what space opera is about. And that's what I, you know, I wanted to find out something like that about Ray. When she wipes away that mirror and her parents are coming up, I was so excited at that moment because I had no idea who it was going to be. And whoever Ryan Johnson was going to show me, I was going to be surprised and delighted to have some new information about Ray. And oh, it's just Daisy Ridley looking at herself. Like, I was so mad. Well, that's at that. more what Dingus is saying, where they're destroying old Star Wars. Like, yeah, this isn't your grandma's Star Wars. Our heroes are related to nobody. Right, but I don't – right. Okay, you know what? Fair enough. But I, like I say, I just – that works in noir. I'm not sure that works for me in, in space opera. Well, this uh, is just uh, a failure. That's just a failure at the cave. He's just m- messing with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. But I yeah. – I, you know, I, I – Yeah. So uh, Nick D liked – he, 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 uh, Nick D liked some of this um, – he thought Rogue One was a bad idea, executed poorly – he thinks Last Jedi is a really good idea. Executed only half well. <laughs> um, so he yeah. liked, he, like me, he liked uh, the scenes between Luke and Ray. Uh, he thought Luke had a great climax. Oh. Uh, he liked the scenes between Ray and Kylo Ren. I thought the emotional conflict and discovery that those characters were going through. Um, but he thought most of the central bulk of the movie was muddled and meandering. Were you okay with the length, Dinkus? I mean, uh, just even on just a sitting through the like. No, I I wasn't okay with the length. I thought I thought it was way too long, uh, mainly because I was really sensitive to the fact that my son was getting uh, bored. Uh, you know bored what, Dinkus? Yeah. That's funny to hear you say that because when I saw it uh, sitting next to me were uh, a couple of kids who must have been like. And like 16-year-old boys, they were super excited. I think they were there with their, their folks. Uh, and two seats over, one of them was like reading his cell phone during the yeah. scene when the, the little horse beasts are loose in the casino planet. Yeah. And he's reading his cell phone, and I just watched it for – you know, I, I, if he was going to put it up, I wasn't going to say anything. But he had it out the whole time. So I leaned over to say, excuse me, sir, that's really distracting. And as I leaned over, I realized the, his brother sitting next to him, the kid right next to me – was dozing <laughs> the guy was uh, asleep target audience <laughs> i mean i really felt bad i was like oh my god you guys are in a star wars movie checking your cell phones and dozing uh, these these boys who yeah. are prime age for it uh yeah well they can't get into casinos you think they'd be <laughs> <laughs> the, the people sitting next to me uh, it was a dad with a baby on his lap and a little kid next to him who was between who was sitting in the seat next to me and the little kid uh, at certain point when Laura Dern was doing something or other, I think she was alone on the ship. Um, he said this line that sounded like such a Star Wars line. This this kid who was probably like eight years old said, uh, she's a bad guy. I can feel it. And he, <gasps> no. <laughs> Laura Dern. She yeah. isn't Twin Peaks, kind of. She's a bad guy. I can feel it. Because we've never also seen her. These, th- this kid's superpower was crinkling um, candy paper <laughs> uh, for an hour straight um but uh, my son really liked it uh but was also pretty restless and his mom's going to take him to it tomorrow and i was like are you excited to go see with your mom and he's like "Eh." yeah 
I'm with some. <laughs> he, does, he doesn't really want to see it again. So I, I think that I think that's what are the good parts you want to watch? What's the repeat value? What's the part you go? Oh, I got to see this part again. Well, like, it's, I it's just it's just too freaking long. And uh, I mean, I I think the whole casino part I would like to cut out, but I think that Tom makes a good point that that's right. It, it's I mean, really an important part of the movie and maybe the most important part for how the trilogy goes forward. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot, I guess you, I guess there's just things that, that they did not shorten about the movie, but man, it is way too long for me. It's too, I mean, and I don't mind a long movie. I really don't mind a long movie. I, you should be worried about how of Star Wars movie being too long. Like that's a new thing. Well, I, yeah, while I was going go, in, when I when I saw it was two and a half hours, and I I couldn't help myself. I really did want to like this. I, I didn't mind. I was like, yeah, two and a half hours yeah. of Star Wars, sweet. Like Woo. that was that was my thinking. And I even if it's going on, and I'm realizing I'm not liking it. I'm thinking, well, okay, there's going to be some cool scene. And I will say, I loved, loved, loved this idea of a salt planet where the it's it's like red underneath. Like I loved the yeah. visual of that. That was absolutely yeah. ingenious. This idea of th- this this beautiful white snowy field and it's like blood like that was that was amazing. Yeah. Whoever came up with that that that's the most beautiful thing I've seen in a Star Wars movie since the seventies. God, I loved that. Eighties when was and, and, and there's shitty snow speeders too. Those were cool. Those were awesome. Yeah, well, they were great. old decrepit vehicles. Well, and also Dingus. And that was Kiernan's favorite thing too, Tom. I mean, you guys. But you guys mind meld on that because he when when that red stuff showed up he's like oh that is an awesome idea yeah. he was nuts about that what's gonna happen here Nothing. I do love asymmetry too in design and uh the you know that's one of the things that is really cool about the Millennium Falcon it's a saucer it's whatever it's yeah. got a nose but this weird idea that its cockpit sticks off to the side like that is a an uh I'm gonna name drop here I once for a Tron game. A Tron video game. I got to write a, a magazine article about it, and I got to go to the house of a guy named named Sid Mead to sit down and Ooh. talk to him about Tron. And and one of the things that he said about his approach to designing things is iconic asymmetry. And he mentioned the Millennium Falcon and that cockpit being over there, uh, and and those little speeder things. I don't know if you guys noticed, but the cockpit's off to one side, and then there's the central part, and then there's a wing. It's like a three. It's like a pod racer thing, but it's it's beautiful and weird and asymmetrical, and I loved that about those weird little things. Those were awesome, and how rattly and old they were. Yeah, um, and they're taking on walkers. Like, yeah. what's going to happen in this? And it's – I don't know. Well, I mean, like, compared to the Empire Strikes Back walker combat sequence, this one was uh, pretty – It's cool. a great wind-up, and I loved that wind-up, and yeah. It's just, no money shot. No money what, shot. What's fun about it well, – is that when they were going down to that planet with that old base, Kiernan was, my son was, is this Hoth? What's going on? And then I, it's not. I mean, there's, there's no, it's a red little sort of like, Kiernan. just scrape the surface and you're going to see the reveal. I, I will say the word <laughs> and of the, this is something, uh, let me just say that yeah, Alexander yeah. Burns, who's somebody who hasn't written in in a while, said again, that the not Hoth, he calls it the not Hoth planet really Hoth. grabs attention. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, salt hoth or not hoth or yeah. Um, one of the things too that's brilliant about Return of the Jedi and that I couldn't help but think of is is this idea in Return of the Jedi and in, in space 
operas, things that shoot lasers at each other, and what else are you going to do? But this whole idea in Return of the Jedi of tangling up uh, – sorry, Empire Strikes Back – of tangling up the legs of the walkers, I mean that is just such a brilliant twist on this really weird design, these dog walker things. Um, it was Luke's idea too. They didn't – plan on it he's all i don't know let's use our cables are that right, we use right. for towing things <laughs> and that's that's brilliant like to 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 subvert this idea of lasers shooting at each other you know to come up with cool new ideas for cool things and i was hoping that there would be something like that on this now. awesome salt flat with that red undercoat um and these weird speeders and they're even i don't know if you guys noticed those new walkers are like gorillas they're like on knuckles and they have big old shoulders um, so there, this was a great setup that, like you said, Kelly, won no money shot. Like I thought, or they, there's some- something. What about there's like sandworms under it, and they can like turn oh. them against somehow. Right, right. I scrape in the salt annoyingly, like fingernails on a chair. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's that- let's talk about the cast. Um, okay, <laughs> am I the only one who recognized Kate Dickey? <laughs> no. What, what was, was going on there, there, Dingus? Yeah, if you're going to give her one, give her more lines at least. That was well, so weird. It, as soon as she showed up, I went, "Oh, I know her." And Kieran's like, "What?" Because he, I always wonder if he says, "Do you actually know her?" But I was like, "That's Kate Dickey." But then what? There's another uh, actress. Do you guys know the Descent movies? The first one. only the first one. So Shauna McDonald is kind of a scream queen. She was just in a movie about, oh, it might have been called Nails, about a. A monster with long fingernails in a hospital, uh, but she she's in one. She doesn't have a line. There's one shot of her in a cockpit, getting ready to take off, and then nothing else. And I couldn't. I was like, oh sweet, and and I looked it up, and I was like, yep, sure enough, that's her. No lines. I don't know what she was doing. I mean, I guess she's just happy to show up for a Star Wars movie. But if you've got Kate Dickey, like, give her something to do. Or in Sean McDonald, or what? In sync, weren't they in episode two? In sync, the the boy band. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you know that? Ha ah, ha! You know about the prequels. Uh, you know. Agreed. Uh, how Agreed did we feel? <laughs> what did we think of Laura Dern? Oh, uh, she's a. I mean, shouldn't that have been Leah's thing? Like, why are we getting a new admiral we've never seen before to fight inconclusively with our favorite pilot? And then, I don't know. What I did do- she do it? I do wonder so, – so I was super glad to not see uh, a CG Grand Moff Tarkin version of, of Carrie Fisher. Like obviously they'd shot her, the stuff when she was still alive. Right. Um, so I was we super – That was really weird because I, I, when when she got shot out of the spaceship, I thought, oh, well, this is how they're going to give her her noble death. Right, right, And then right. they did the Mary Poppins thing. It was so weird. But I don't think – yeah, like shouldn't – you know, should she have been on the cruiser that does the suicide? She doesn't take send off. I know. I was really. Well, that's what. That's what Chris Markinson says. He says, "Why didn't they have Leia sacrifice herself rather than Laura Dern?" He says, "For me, that at least would have been a great way for her character to go out, making the ultimate sacrifice to save the rebels and the Republic, and doing yeah. a cool space thing too. Or and yeah. she has the Force, and the one time she uses the Force, it's for something kind of shitty and boring. Flying but here's the thing, path. though, is it. it it doesn't save them, and, and and that's another thing too. This is so contrived. And Kelly Wan, you didn't even make me think of why not just leave a droid on board. I was thinking, yeah. come on, surely you can <laughs> remotely pilot a. Oh no, just put a droid on board. 
Like, you have to drive it. It do nothing. Her job's to do nothing too. You could even have you could have the stupidest droid on the ship doing. Because here's the here's another thing. She I, avoids doing it for a, a few minutes. And I, I love. Like, okay, now I'll decide to do it. And I love the visual of that, by the way. And I love it. You yeah, know, right. Ryan Johnson does this a couple times too many. But this idea of cutting out all the sound uh, yep. to just have yeah. like that. That's a great trick. And it was for a great moment. I loved that moment. It was a beautiful shot. It was a super pretty thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just felt pointless. Like, no, have a droid do that or remote control. It right. didn't affect the battle. Right, right. I mean, and I think that I, I wonder if we're supposed to get this uh, sense of hopelessness that builds through Empire Strikes Back to where they keep losing and keep losing and keep losing and keep losing. But, oh, they finally won because of what Finn and Rose did on the casino planet. That's the thing. In the Star Wars movies, the main characters were the reason everything was happening. And in this, right, right. You, you meet people like, okay, Laura Dern's going to cause this to happen. I don't know. I did love so much how out of uh, – like Laura Dern just felt like she was not in a Star Wars movie. I loved that about her. I loved just how weird – and she just was not doing like line del- – I mean I don't know if it was a line delivery thing or the fact that the, her costume made her look like someone in um, – uh, Tom Ford did a movie called Nocturnal Anim- Creature Animals. Oh, uh, yeah. Eternal Animals, and is in it, uh, one of the characters sort of uh, circulates in the the world of high fashion, and he introduces the characters in this world like they look super outrageous, the way they're dressed, the way their hair is done, and it's to contrast with another world that's a character telling a story in Nocturnal Animals, and I love the visual contrast. Laura Dern looked like she stepped out of that side of Nocturnal Animals. Uh, It was just really – she was dressed weird. She didn't talk like anyone else. Uh, I just loved how conspicuous she was uh, in that. And I'm sorry we lost. Yeah. She looked like a Hunger Games character. Ex- oh, the thing yeah. is exactly, yes. Ex- that's a way better way to put it. <laughs> yeah, like Elizabeth Banks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like the idea that they're trying to put more women in Star Wars. I think that's the idea of the Laura Dern character and Rose Tico. But. And- and yeah, there was a like we we had a super prominent uh, woman technician, a uh, girl kind of round faced girl with little stubby ponytail things on top of her head who had a bunch of lines. It was basically stuff like eh, the last transport's away. Yeah, like, a, like she was super prominently, and the uh, English actress with a big old nose, just super distinctive face. She got a bunch of lines. Yeah, I loved that. I loved that it was clearly you know. Bunch of women, uh, and even an imperial. There was an imperial chick who got several lines about eh, the thrusters are charged. Um, yeah. Uh, how do you feel about John Boyega in this? Because uh, Chris Markinson thinks John Boyega can do comedy. I like when he's more, in more comedic scenes, since I think he aces them. I mean, I just liked him with Ray. I wanted him to be with Ray, and I did like Rose. Yeah, I'm fine with him. I. I like the <laughs> idea of. <laughs> of these characters having, uh, I, I don't like forced romantic relationships in these movies. It just feels weird. I mean, if if you can make a way to make it happen that that feels real, that's cool. Otherwise, why can't they just have battle camaraderie? Because this weird sort of forced romantic stuff doesn't really work. I don't think John Boyega and uh, what's her name? Kelly Marie Tran have any, there's no heat between them. I think they try to force that at the end. It's a little weird, uh, but they seem like pals. They seem like, I thought she know, was into him and he wasn't into her. Well, 
I think she was at the beginning. She was just like, "Oh, you're you're the Finn." I mean, it's it's this. Oh my God, you're that legend, and oh, you're doing this. Well, fuck you. And I think that they kind of can establish some sort of battlefield camaraderie, but I don't think you have to make it into something where everybody has to kiss at the end. Do, do we know, by the way? Uh, is it just completely random that Finn has shucked off his stormtrooper conditioning? I don't know. Didn't he shuck it off already in the first one? It, right, that's what I'm saying. Is there's no explanation for that? Like he has no mysterious destiny. It's just one. And is it obviously this is not an endemic problem with stormtroopers? Uh, are we supposed to think anything special about Finn? He's just the one stormtrooper out of thousands, like, right? Who got his friend's bloody handprint on his face right. on his helmet and therefore reacted to the horrors of war and shucked off his conditioning? Because I didn't remember this, but when I watched Force Awakens this past week. Um, there's a line where I think Admiral Hux has to – he's berating – so anyway, there's Imperial – Imperials talking to each other, and someone says something about uh, maybe you should have had clone troopers instead of your experimental Im- Imperial conditioning program. Uh, it was implying that maybe this uh, is yeah. really – they sort of cover their asses briefly, but I, and I think that is supposed to sweep under the rug any questions about John Boyega's uh, situation and any other stormtroopers. Well, like the he's the one – more brutal even <laughs> i don't know he gets to hang around with uh with ray with rose i think he's got a pretty easy you didn't get to hang out with ray anymore and you guys well, did in the first ray, ray in this movie mm-hmm. uh i don't know i didn't really understand her character much i just loved so much what they did with her in the first movie and i just didn't feel it yeah. she's supposed to be learning well, it's, it's really key on uh, I mean, you, you've got to be into what Mark Hamill is doing. You've got to be into her, what she's doing with Adam, Adam Driver. And Kelly Wan, I don't think that worked for you or I. But if no. that works for you, then you've got to have a great time watching her. And I'm jealous. But I, could you know. she have moved the rocks without going to Ireland? Because it looked like in the first movie she was already pretty, uh, right, right, pretty high up the levels. So moving rocks is her, is her third act exciting thing to do. Compared to what Luke's doing, and, and why couldn't she force push the lightsaber button to kill Snoke? Why does she take on Kylo Ren and buy them time if she's a badass Jedi? At this well, point, how about when she sends that lightsaber over to him, splits it apart, and he does the face stab with it? Then they break Luke's. That's that's Chris Markinson's uh, dingus nice moment. <laughs> I mean, I, w- I guess it was. Yeah, I what about the like Sno- Okay, so Snoke. Mm-hmm. Snoke, what a <laughs> stupid name! Good lord. He's God, where? I, I freaking he? hate that name. I'm gonna punch George Lucas w- every time I, I hear will him. See, no, I, do you think General Lucas came Grievous. up with it? it no, I don't care who came up with it, but all, all the names in this universe are just so dumb. I will say General that it's better. Grievous. It's way better than Count Dooku. Yeah, Dooku. Uh, I just want to punch him every time. Uh, I'm picturing you picking up this lightsaber and killing her. Wait, what? (laughs) That's not what I made brain saw. Tricked me. (laughs) Killing your enemy. (laughs) All the other telepathy things, it's a camera angle. And like, I can't see behind you. Oh, yeah, it's Luke. But when it's snow, he's like, yeah, I see you picking up a lightsaber and killing. Not something with boobs. (laughs) (laughs) That's all we get of that guy. All right. Great. Uh, we uh, did it. Aaron, 
Aaron Kane, by the way, our space monkey friend, uh, does say that uh, Finn's arc from The Force Awakens, it, he's asking, is this Finn's arc from The Force Awakens essentially just reboot? When he Wait. woke up in the sev in the in the sev sieve, I always say, what's the suit that's spurting out? Um, oh, oh Phil, it, right, it, right, right, right. So, it, it's essentially his whole idea of what happens in the Force Awakens just rebooted in this movie. I mean, he doesn't do anything new, is what Aaron Kane is asking. Even his weapon's the same against Phasma. Here you use that thing. It's his signature weapon. Oh, and that was another one. Poor. I mean, I guess we got Gwendolyn Christie's left eye in the movie. So we get her voice in her left eye. Her swan song line's lame. You're scared. Um, what? Oh, and then let's go Chrome Dome. Really? Uh, I, mean, I, guess, I don't know. Hi, Lucas. All right, Lucas. <laughs> and that, was- just, that whole fight scene, too. I did just really – because here's the weird thing. Gwendolyn Christie is standing right there ordering their execution, and then Laura Dern's jump to light speed suicide run messes up the ship. And then we cut to the next scene of Gwendolyn Christie leading a bunch of stormtroopers from across the hangar bay. Like, there was no spatial sense during any of that setup. Uh, it's yeah. like, okay, wait, the explosion knocked her across the hangar bay where she's got another squad of stormtroopers that are going to march out. Like, it just felt so, like, oh, we're going to do something really cool with this character and it's going to make everyone cheer. And I was just scratching my head during that, going, wait, yeah. what? Hold on. What, did, really? And Alexander Burns agrees with you on Let's Go Chrome Dome. He's all WTF on that. And you hear interviews going, oh, wait, you see what Phasma does in the new one. You're going to (laughs) shit. She basically, yeah, just gets very summarily dispatched. I think that was just kind of odd. Uh, Let's see. Okay. I have a weird thing now about droids. So there was a – there's a Star Wars – card game where you and your opponent have a deck of cards and you're trying to win one 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 person is the light side and the other person is the dark side and you build a deck and planets get put out in systems and the table between you and you have to put like a character on a planet to take control of it however some of the cards are droids and droids can't control a planet there's this concept in the game of presence and Force only presence. characters have presence only uh, but a droid you know stormtrooper even can have presence but a droid has no presence because they're just servants and even in star wars um, you know if if we take lucas's comments at face value actually it's pretty clear he was obviously inspired by hidden fortress where the story is told from the perspective of peasants in a feudal Japan, and it's very there's a very strict class system. And the two peasants in Forbidden Hidden Fortress, uh, in Hidden Fortress, the story is told from their perspective. And Star Wars is that same kind of thing with the two droids as peasants. They can't fight. They're not. Uh, they're not full. They're not like warriors. They're just regular uh, bystanders, and they're watching this epic tale unfold. Peasants uh, without presence. But then at a certain point, like. You know, all this stuff happens with, uh, and, and one of the cool things too, by the way, it's what made IG88 super cool because IG88 was a droid bounty hunter. How crazy is that? He was a droid that could use weapons. That's insane. Droids can't do that. But then the whole prequel thing happened where there were whole armies of stupid Roger Roger droids specifically because it's easier to slaughter them if they're not human in a family friendly movie. So now droids can can fight. And then in Rogue One, we had a, a fighter droid that had a wry sense of humor. It was like a battle droid thing. Um, so I guess it shouldn't bother me. 
But it did bother me that BB-8 can drive around a walker and shoot its guns and kill people. Because <laughs> he doesn't and have presence. I'm not, he has no presence. Droids aren't supposed to be able to do that. I mean, I guess enough groundwork has been laid now that we might as well mount a rocket launcher on R2-D2, right? R2-D2 never killed anybody? Are we sure about that? Well, he certainly didn't. Why couldn't he stick his little turny hacking interface thing into a walker and drive it around and blow people up? Why can't he shoot lasers out? You know, if if, uh, you know, BB-8, we showed previously, he can like shock, annoyingly shock Finn in Force Awakens. But now, you know what? The guy just has the power of, of, of lethal attacks now. Just give him guns. Go ahead. Make the droids. This whole idea that droids are bystanders. Like peasants in a feudal Japan movie. It's all gone. Droids, you know what? Go ahead. Give them all guns. Let them all fight. They can drive BB-8. tanks. They can drive tanks. Give BB-8 a lightsaber. Do it. Well, I think the groundwork is laid for that at the beginning of Force Awakens, and this is one of the things I liked about Force Awakens. When did Force Awakens let droids kill people or shoot it, guns? It didn't, but it gave them agency, and, it, and it's the moment where, um, where she – Rescues rescues him from that junker who. It's not a junker. It's Tito Dingus. It's Tito with the Lugga Beast. Tito with the Lugga Beast. Duda, duda. But that's, um, that's that for me. Dingus is getting at the same idea. This idea that droids are a separate class. They're like peasants in feudal Japan. They're people on Jakku. They're not recognized as having rights. They're trafficked by Jawas. Like in a way, you could almost say it's like slave trading, right? Um, but she's seen as the same thing, and she understands that. This is an actual being. She treats it as an actual being. She she speaks her line, and I can't remember the actual line. It's like he doesn't care about he doesn't care about anybody, right? You know, he's just going to take you apart. He doesn't care right. about anybody, right? But she treats uh, Beep Boop as an actual being, right. not as a thing. And and, and obviously, and, Luke has has affection for R two D two and C three PO. And that's fine. And that's great. They're good guys. They should. Like it's part of what makes them better than than other people in the universe. Better. It's part of what makes uh, them more sympathetic. Um, is that the droids are from the Jabba. a special vulnerable class? Um, I don't know. You know, it's just a weird thing. Seeing. I know it was a. It was supposed to be like an audience cheering moment to see Beep Boop driving in Walker. But I was just like, no. Like the the Star Wars nerd in me, the part of me in Star who still cares about Star Wars. And okay, there's a big part of me that still cares about Star Wars. Like I was just like, no, Brian Johnson, don't make Beep well, Boop drive a walker. That's no, wrong. That wrong. Was, I, I would agree with you. I thought that was crappy too, but I just thought you it was know. crappy visual. I just thought it looked stupid. <laughs> Tom, in the card game, you can only drive a walker if you're a pilot. You have the pilot icon. So now we're letting BBA is a pilot. He has a yellow pilot. Well, icon. not just that, Kelly. One, he can shoot a, a slot. He can shoot coins to incapacitate guards. Because uh, yeah. you know that that he little gets, weird that little Uncle Money Pennybags Gremlin creature thought he was uh, a slot machine and obviously put enough coins in Beep Boop where he could now shoot a coin gun out of his chest and take out four guards. He also thought he was a prostitute, and then something else that he was shooting out later. <laughs> Kelly Wand, oh my okay. gosh, inappropriate. That's it. casino. Droids can't have sex. That's just not right, Kelly Wand. What? Gremlins can though. <laughs> Speaking of wet hands. It did answer the question, wow. are there dogs and cats in the Star Wars universe? They're not dogs, but they're crystal critters. There are the, Kelly Wan, you used the word porg. Yeah. What's a porg? Those That's those birds. little owl things? Wait, how do you know they're called porgs? Nobody ever says that in the movie, do they? Uh, 
No, I think I saw him line or something. So is is Chewbacca about to eat one of them, and that's yeah. why they're all sad? Yeah, he's going to yeah. eat a porg. I didn't know they were called porgs, but the, yeah, Chewbacca is going to carnivorously. notice till he Because at first I was like, they, oh, they want him to give him some food. And then I was like, no, he's going to eat one of them. Yeah, uh, that's right. And it didn't bother him when he, when he killed it and skinned it and plucked it and roasted yeah, it. It was only right before he was going to put it in his mouth that the porgs were like, Ugh. I am a sucker for cute little owl things like oh, that. God, I hated that. I really hated it. They looked like porgs. No, they were like the those awful like tribbles. tribbles. Oh, yeah. I hated infection. Wait, tribble, tribbles are just little balls of fur. They don't even tribbles don't have. Yeah, but they invade the ship and and oh, right, right, Chewbacca's right. like throwing them off of the controls. Ho oh, oh, ho. Well, I, yeah, and one of them was like wearing little like wires on its head from the console. Or yeah, they were very gremlin-y though. Yeah. What about, about the fish nuns that Luke milked? No, see, he, the fish nuns Mm-mm. weren't milked. The Those are two different things. Yeah, yeah, there were the snout-nosed walruses, and then the fish nuns were the inhabitants. Oh, right. I thought that was just pushing the, the shopping cart that almost got – they almost got killed. Right. Yeah. When, she, when she lasered off the uh, Easter Island statue. Don't worry. The force protected them, Dingus. Yeah, I'm sure that, <laughs> that's how the force works. Yeah, but the the other thing was just like a water, like a walrus water fountain for him. Yeah, yeah, that was hot. And then he got to use his uh, thing that he borrowed from Mad Max Fury Road to swing across the cliff to go fishing. Ah, right. Jesus, why did he have to go over there to spear the fish? Like, why couldn't he do it? Why can't he telekinetically take the fish out of water? That's not how the force works. And by the way, he's walled himself off from the force by this point. Everything he said is wrong. Yeah, that's true. He's walled himself. Uh, he has walled guys... himself off from the force. Did uh... you say that? Yeah, he says that. He's walled himself off from the force because he doesn't want any of this he's to happen. He's not even using it anymore. He doesn't believe any of this should happen anymore. He believes that he's the Jedi no should die, which is one of the reasons I like this movie is because I think that it's killing the other movies off. Then he then he changes his mind though, Dingus, and goes, I'm Yeah, but Well he uh-huh. saves I guess so Dingus So do the Jedi No, but Die the Jedi do the Jedi doesn't he prove himself Jedi. wrong at the end of the movie? Like doesn't he change his mind? Because he says his yeah. whole smirky thing to Kylo Ren is and I am not the last Jedi. Like isn't he basically coming around and changing his mind at the end, or did I misread the end? Because I like what you're saying, Dingus, but I don't I think the movie decides that Luke was wrong, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, yeah, that could I be wrong. So. You I do think, or don't? I think, think so. you're right, and and I think you know Chris Markinson asks a question I didn't even think when watching this is uh, the last Jedi text weren't burned, right? Yeah, they a, were. he he will. His question is they were in the cabinet that Finn opens in the Falcon in the end, correct? Oh God, I don't remember that. What? I don't remember it either. I don't no. know what he's talking about. But he's. But Why would they keep be in mind, there? Chris Markinson has seen this movie twice, and he's going to see it again he uh, after Christmas. So wait, how uh, did they get in the chest in the Falcon? I don't Luke know. Like Yoda there? teleported him. I don't know. I don't know. So here's Han masturbated to him. <laughs> no. I was serious. Three by threes anymore. So you can't keep doing this. Uh, in Dagobah, in Yoda's little house, do you ever see any books? Because either of you guys know, I mean, it's a pretty obscure question. But here's the thing: uh, back in 2012, uh, a, a guy on a, a guy named 
Well, he's laughing. A guy named Ryan Britt wrote on Tor.com an article uh, basically saying people in the Star Wars universe are illiterate. They don't read. Written materials are never seen in the Star Wars universe. Well, in episode you know, two, the library. Yeah. When did that come out? 2002. What's in the library, though? Are they all – so, well, here's the thing. People read info off of screens, and there's right. this idea uh, – and they're little – like, Right, but, but there are no novels. There's no <laughs> books of poetry. You never see anybody reading for entertainment. There's no newspapers. There's no letters. There's no magazines, uh, right? Am I, I don't remember – So it's all so, on, on microfiche, and there's always a bigger fiche? They don't want you to read. That's the message of Star Wars. Don't read the novelization of Star Wars, even. But my question is, is this the first appearance of books in a Star Wars movie? Did we see them? Yes. Yeah, we see the books. Like, Luke pulls out – it's a pretty modest library. It's like eight books there. And Luke pulls out one of them and it's a page. (laughs) Did he bring them with him? I I don't want to be found. But I'm saying I think this is the first time in a Star Wars movie. We've universe, or certainly the movies, that you've ever seen a book. Because nobody's ever carrying around a book of poetry. Nobody ever gives anybody a book to read. Nobody ever reads a letter, right? Right, but they do read screens. They have Kindles. Right, right. Not illiterate in the sense of can they read writing, but illiterate in the sense right. of there, there's no literature in the Star Wars universe. People have never right. read and or passed along or talked that's about it. opening crawl. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's a thing It's just reading a screen. Once again, oh, reading info yeah. off a screen. Yeah. Plus X wing and A wing, they know the letters are. <laughs> a wing looks like triangle vaguely. All right. So I maybe the book. What's your point? Survive. Well, my point is that these books are retconned, or books are, have never been a part of the Star Wars universe. Maybe Luke invented them, like Jesus invents the table in Passion of the Christ. No, but I think Luke admits to never having read them, and somebody who says they're not real page turners. Oh my God! Oh, Dingus, can you Dingus, can you hear me? Can you hear me? I'm holding for Dingus. Dingus, can you hear me? Uh, dingus with an H. Can you? Oh God! I mean, uh, yeah, Poe Dameron's a good pilot. That's his character. <laughs> Ghost gives him male sex in Ghostbusters. When when did Maz become a, a character? Like Maz is like a wizened old lady who runs a tavern. When did she become like a character in a Ratchet and Clank video game? When did that happen? I missed that. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, a Pete, what was up Wait, with that? Was she gonna tell the lightsaber story in that scene? Uh, she's busy fighting stuff, Kelly Wan. She can't be bothered. Oh, all right. Is she saw? Is she in the tunnels because the planet? Got blown up above her on in episode seven, so she's stuck underground still. I think she's off doing a mission or something. She works for the rebellion. She's, she's making found footage movies for the rebellion now. What if in episode nine she goes, "Oh yeah, the lightsaber. I just flew down and got it." That's the story I was going to tell you in episode seven. Uh, were you were you guys uh, confused at all by what Kylo Ren was doing at the end? <laughs> I was confused with every scene with Kylo Ren. I Shooting never all the gun, like what do you at the end when? Uh, when they're in the throne room, in, in the room with Snope or Snorp or Snork, whatever his name is. Uh, well, I, I, I mean, he's the one that kind of wants to kill everything, let everything else die, and reboot. Like he's the one trying to kill Ryan Johnson. Movies, I think. I mean, <laughs> but did you know that? Did you know that what he was doing was 
trying to amass power did you did you think for any moment that she had she had turned him that this is where the this is where the trilogy was going to go i was kind of hoping that he had turned her like i I think that would have been sort of the brave twist like that would have made me sit up and notice um uh, or she plays him and makes him think she's gone bad. Oh, I guess yeah, I like that. But no, yeah, I, I would have loved this idea that she had said, "Okay, yeah, I'll join you." You're right. That's if I, you know, tough. my parent, you're right about my parents on Jakku. Um, like I would have liked that twist. But but no, Dingus, I did not. I, I was not clear what he was doing. I was like, okay, is somebody going to turn? Someone not going to turn? I, I was not sure. Why so she what, saw the it? future correctly, but didn't see much of the future. Just no, like, I'm just. I was just wondering what you thought about that. Uh, for I no did particular like, reason. I liked this idea. I, it felt weirdly out of place, but I liked this idea that the uh, Supreme Leader Snoke's room looked like a sound stage <laughs> with the red light. Like that was kind of weird. It looked like there was going to be some sort of Met production of an opera going on there. Sorry, uh, and then it gets completely chewed up in the battle. Uh, like I, I liked that idea of physically destroying this weird, featureless, almost immaculate space with a bunch of battle stuff. I could have done without like all the imperial guards having special wacky anti-lightsaber weapons and Ugh, they don't work they don't work I don't, i'm also not clear on the rules of a lightsaber and i, I didn't remember this in force awakens in yeah. the, the battle at maz's tavern one of the stormtroopers shows up with this weird shock baton thing mm-hmm. that can block a lightsaber how yeah, the, the Empire has learned how to – I mean, they're, uh, lightsabers are just made out of crystals. I mean, they're just crystals that are joined together to make an energy weapon. It's just an energy weapon. That's Why all it is. Why don't they make the Stormtrooper's armor out of that? Yeah. Because because it's a limited resource. It's not <laughs> easy to come up with that. All right, thank you. Um, that weapon anyway, too slow for a lightsaber to block I, it. I love that you brought this up because it reminds me of a question that, that Markinson asked that I didn't even think about. And and Markinson's question is, were the Snoke's red guards the acolytes that Ren left the planet with when he and Luke had their big breakup? That would be cool if they were. Oh, see – Chris Dingus, you should have directed this movie. Chris Markinson should have written it. <laughs> yeah, that's actually interesting. I really love that idea because they were much more badass than the than those schlubs that were walking around in uh, Return of the Jedi. Oh yeah, those they, right, right. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. We're in big robes. Didn't that's what help. we're going to do. Then well, in that robes. in that, I got the sense they were just like honor guards, like the dudes with the big hats in front of Buckingham Palace. Like right. These guys seemed like actual – and the thing is they were trying to give them each a unique personality with a unique weapon. Yeah. Um, like the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> oh, guys. Except red. It would have been funny if the walls of the red room were collapsing behind him. You just saw sandbags and PAs. <laughs> and that would have been 22 Jump Streeting it. Absolutely, yeah. Kelly Wand. All right. <laughs> But I guess it's uh, okay. Not. Can I just say, Tom? You said that you liked Benicio del Toro in this. Oh, oh God! God. Damn. No, 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 uh, no, no. I like Benicio del Toro. Like that was the thing is I got to see actors I like. Uh, I mean, it, he was. It was kind of the same as um, Laura Dern. Is Laura Dern seemed like she stepped in from a different kind of movie. Same with Benicio del Toro. Uh, Benicio del Toro. I, I was thinking more like his character from Usual Suspects, like in the jail cell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kept. No, I just know, have them be the stars of the movies, like just make yeah, it. Yeah, and 
Yeah, Markinson said usual suspects too. Yeah. For me, I was just thinking of the collector. You know, like yeah. at the moment of your because Karen was like, "Who's that guy?" And I'm like, at the moment of your death, will you promise me? And he was like, "Oh, he's that guy," because you know mm-hmm. he's the guy who wants to get all of those creatures. He's the Wolf Man. Kelly <laughs> <laughs> Wand. Pretty deep. I thought wolf. he was so out of place in this. I couldn't believe it. Mm. And also a totally ineffectual character. I, I wow. <laughs> well, Dig is not for the uh, the imp or the whatever first order. Well, yeah. <laughs> Please stop doing that. Sorry, that's his thing, though, right? He's a and the stutter. Don't forget the stutter, Kelly Wong. He's just wrong for this movie. He's so wrong for it. He's wrong for this movie. I kind of uh, like. So I, I have a like. I don't like when plot points or scripts are wrong for space opera, but I like when you bring in an actor who just doesn't fit, like Laura Dern and Benicio del Toro. I just found that fascinating. But yeah, you're you right. Like it? Yeah. Do you it like when Sa- you know? As much as I love Samuel L. Jackson, I cannot stand seeing him in any Star Wars movie. I mean, oh, I well, understand he's yeah, a huge yeah, those, fan, right. but he doesn't belong in that universe. I mean, I, I don't know what it is. It's just his energy doesn't fit. I'd right. like to see Al Pacino in a Star Wars movie, like as a angry. <laughs> <laughs> what would he play? He would have been great. Out of here! I as a supreme leader. <laughs> <laughs> The lightsaber over there. Have him be Snoke. Yeah. Yes. No. She's got to bring ass. Yeah. But so also, how do we feel about uh, BB-8 having his belly rubbed? What? That happened? <laughs> yeah, when uh, he and Poe Dameron are reunited, <laughs> Oscar uh, Isaac does a little like tickle Either. thing on his belly with his fingers. Like he's like rubbing it vigorously, like you would a, a dog or something. Yeah. Uh, they're actually kind of they're both Star Wars characters so I I feel like I'm watching a Star Wars movie when they're in it would but like would Luke ever like idly pet R2-D2's head like a dog like he's just standing Maybe. there next to him yeah he does no he doesn't <laughs> what are you talking about what like you pet that. a dog well R2-D2 is very sensitive to being touched because when uh, when Yoda's smacking him with that thing, he's like, "I don't like that. Don't stop doing that." <laughs> Dingus, do you speak R two D two? When Luke lost uh, it, it was coming out of R 2s dick. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, there you go. Uh, if we had a three by three, we would now do it. But guess what? Our three by threes are now monthly. So, if you can think of any instances of a character's redemption that you didn't like, <laughs> that were the worst, that you thought were really dumb, Kylo Ren. Ah, Kelly Wan, no helping people. Oh, you have to come up with sorry. these on their own. Sorry. Send those, to, send those to 3x3 at com. We'll do our 3x3 three three of Worst Redemptions episode on uh, December 31st. Get those to us by the by the end of the year, by the end of 2017. And we'll read That's those soon. on the air. It's already uh, almost December. Well, we're going to do Jumanji next week. Oh, boy. We're going to see a Dwayne Johnson movie directed by Jake Kasdan. With Ugh. Karen Gillis, I presume in very short shorts. I'm very excited about two of those three things. Dwayne Dingus Johnson is excited about shorts. the other. Oh. So Jumanji. Join us. Yes, Kelly Wand? You're, is that a game? Video game? Jumanji? Yeah. Well, probably. I don't I mean, is it it's it's a board game that comes alive and has Robin Williams make rhinoceroses come in your house. Yeah, it's, it's scary. Yeah. It's terrifying. All right. So it's a horror movie. 
I don't I don't even think that well, we'll find out, but I don't even think this is a a reboot. I think they're just appropriating the title to make Dwayne Johnson and Jack Black and Karen Gillan and there might be someone else uh, just run around in a jungle and have an adventure. Uh, we'll find out though. I thought so, Jumanji uh, comes to us. If you see Jumanji, send your comments also to three x three at quarter to three dot com. Let us know what you thought what you thought of it. Uh, and we'll talk about that next week. The week after, we'll do our three by three of worst redemptions. Join us for those. I'm Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Malinsky. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. Uh, Star Wars and Christmas only mixed successfully during the 70s on television. Ah, Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars. Give me no Star Wars. Don't let them in. Ah, Star Wars. If they should fire wars, please let me. How about that nutty Star Wars bar? Can you forget all the creatures in there? And hey, Darth Vader in that black and evil mask. Did he scare you as much as he scared me? Ah! Star Wars! Those near in Star Wars! My seventh winner up here! Star Wars! Oh yeah, I remember when my mom was hugged by a ghost at a high school reunion? Episode 7 made her throw up, and she had to leave early, and then she wrote me yesterday she's going to see Episode 8 tomorrow, and she was overcome with nausea again. So, it's coincidence? Or the Force? I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. Tom, what's the connection between Episode 8 and Beyond Skyline again? <laughs> Oops. Kelly, get your head out of your cockpit. What? How am I going to see? Asymmetrical. This is it. not going to end the way you think. Everything I'm saying is wrong, dingus.